0: Hello, my name is Garrison Lovely, and I'm not that interesting. But this is the most interesting people I know. Conversations on science, ethics, and politics. This episode is a long time in the making. We're going deep on the intersection of effective altruism and the left. When I tell people that I'm a leftist and into effective altruism, they're often surprised. A lot of the recent criticism of EA from the left may make it seem like the ideas and communities are incompatible, causing people to genuinely ask, Can you be an effective altruist and a leftist? I think you can, but that doesn't mean there aren't genuine tensions between the two approaches to improving the world. This is not meant to be a point-by-point rebuttal of any criticisms of EA or the left. Instead, I wanted to better understand myself how these ideas interact. To discuss this, I brought on Habiba Islam. Habiba is a career advisor for 80,000 Hours, an organization that helps people find high-impact careers. 80,000 Hours grew out of the effective altruism movement, but Habiba also identifies as a leftist. As you'll soon discover, Hobiba has given these ideas a lot of thought and helped clarify a lot of longstanding confusions for me. We go through our backgrounds with the left and EA and attempt to define each. We then go through the hidden agreements between effective altruism and the left and misconceptions each has about the other, as well as the real disagreements between EA and practice and the left. When I first got into EA and left politics, I had grand plans to try and reconcile the two. I felt like EA's commitments to prioritization Responding to evidence and doing whatever works could help make the left better at achieving its goals. And I thought that the left's ability to build movements, shape narratives, analyze power, and understand history could shore up some of the major blind spots within effective altruism. Time is tempered by ambitions a bit, and I think there are good reasons why the left and EA will and should remain distinct things. But there's still a lot each can learn from the other. I really enjoyed this conversation, and we go pretty deep, as I mentioned at the top. And I hope you learned something from it as well. This is Habiba Islam. Habiba, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's so lovely to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so I've been thinking about this kind of topic for years now. Um, mm-hmm. I am a weird person in that I radicalized towards effective altruism and uh, the left roughly at the same time. And for kind of similar reasons. Um, when I tell people this, that they're pretty surprised. Um, yeah, I think there's this idea that like effective altruism and the left like don't really get along. And that EAs are not leftists and leftists aren't EAs. Uh, but there are definitely a handful of people, at least. Um, I, I've met like a good number at this point who really identify with with both labels um, and draw a lot from like the ideas of, of each community. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to just dive into where we agree, where we disagree, and yeah, like what what it means to be an effective altruist and and a leftist and and whether there's like real tension there. Um, So just to start off, can you just give us like a little bit of background about yourself, um, your history with the left, your history with effective altruism?
1: Mm mm-hmm. um, Yeah, absolutely. I'm also excited to dive into this because this is also a thing that is very much at the intersection of a lot of my interests, too. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I would consider myself like a lifelong um, leftist or sort of interested in like what I, I guess you would now call um, yeah, like social justice or um, the, the kind of progressive type attitudes. Um, I grew up in the UK, f- like as a British Asian Muslim during the kind of... Uh, war on terror period. And so a lot of my kind of early initiation into like political activism was, you know, going on uh, demonstrations against the Iraq war, um, was very into feminism, uh, like as a teenager, this is kind of the bread and butter of I think, my political views growing up. It was a a little later on at university that came across effective altruism and uh there are a lot of things that I think spoke to uh a bunch of the values that I already had so I think I very strongly felt um this sense of privilege of where I was in the in the first world and from a particularly privileged position even within the UK and this strong sense of wanting to help others and uh the fact that the world seemed like incredibly unjust and there were so many different things that we like sh- should be doing to try and uh, make it better. Uh, and there were a lot of things about effective altruism that really spoke to that uh, for me, especially this kind of earlier focus on some of the um, the things that we could be doing to help people in developing countries a lot more than, uh, than people seem to be generally doing, um, which I think we'll probably dive into a bit more in the conversation. So then after university... I guess I was involved in in both kinds of uh or sort of had both sort of Bits of ideology, kind of part of my um, outlook. Uh, over the last few years, I've got much more involved in the effective altruism community. So I worked for a few years at a couple of research centers, the Future of Humanity Institute and the Global Parities Institute, which are both uh, research centers at Oxford that are kind of at the heart of doing a lot of the thinking around um, that informs a lot of the effective altruism movement. And then for the last couple of years, I've worked for a nonprofit called 80,000 Hours, um, which looks into high impact careers according to effective altruist principles. Um, so that's where I work now. But I still very much kind of have a foot in both worlds, at least kind of ideologically. I spend most of my time, I guess, thinking about things from the effective altruist perspective, but I very much um, still identify with like leftist views and have done a bunch of thinking over the last few years about how to combine those two, what the tensions are, what it's what it means for me. Um, have done things like, you know, a social justice and long termism reading group at, at Global Frightists. Institute to try and sort of unpick some of the different um, tensions uh, between between the two.
0: Oh, wow. That, that's super interesting. And I'd be curious to see the uh, reading list there. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I can give some background on myself. Uh, I, I think I was always broadly on the left side of things, but in college, I was more of a, a social Democrat, maybe radical liberal, uh, where I had really radical views on like drug policy and uh, the prison system and I, I started a prison reform group in college and uh, taught at a maximum security prison uh, for a semester at, at Cornell. Uh, and I think the 2016 election really kind of pried my brain open. Uh, I, I'd supported Hillary in the primaries, which is you know embarrassing um, <laughs> as, a, as a Bernie person now. But I, I just thought that like he didn't have good answers for like how he would actually execute his policies. Um, and I, I think that was somewhat true, but I, I just put too much weight on that Compared to a bunch of other things that mattered a lot more, um, and it also started out as a protest candidacy and became more real throughout. Uh, but don't want to get bogged down in that. I just want to <laughs> kind of, you know, uh, post where I was at that time, and yeah. So the election really like changed my my thinking, and and I think it was something like I wanted more radical outcomes, but I also thought that like more centrist approach was uh, the, the way to go to get there. Um, And then when Hillary lost to somebody who I thought was eminently beatable, I was like, okay, maybe I should reconsider my model of the world. And around the same time, I I found out about effective altruism. And I I was actually working at at McKinsey at the time and serving a federal agency when Trump became president and uh, felt like we were doing bad things in the world. And uh, I didn't really have an answer as to what I was doing to to make the world better. Whereas in college, I, I could point to some things. And effective altruism gave me, you know, a framework and a call to action um, for for these intuitions that I had held my my whole life, which is some version of, you know, the world is really messed up. There's a lot of preventable suffering and you should help uh, insofar as you can help. And I was, you know, one of the luckiest people on the planet, I felt, and I could help quite a bit and I just hadn't yet. And so I started taking the uh, giving what we can pledge, which is like lifetime income of 10% or more to, uh, effective charities. And I, I, you know, stopped eating animals and and started going to some like effective altruism meetups when I moved to New York. And then at the same time, I joined like democratic socialists of America and engaged in some advocacy and and protests, um, arrested, shutting down an ice facility in, in New Jersey, um, and had, just, yeah, written some some articles about the, the prison system and, and written some stuff for Current Affairs magazine about psychedelic drugs and podcasts. Um, and yeah, just like felt myself really just diving into both without feeling like this obvious tension between the two, even though they're like quite different in terms of the the culture of the groups. And um, I think there are some genuine tensions, but uh, I, I really do feel similarly that like I, I identify uh, as a, a leftist, as a socialist um, and an effective altruist um, always aspiring to to mm-hmm. each and yeah I, I'm excited to to go into it and I think it would probably help for the listeners to just give some definitions of, of each of these things um, and the left is such a, a broad term and I think that especially coming from the UK like what it means to be a leftist there might not be the same mm-hmm. thing as what it means in the United States and also within the term leftism in the United States there's a lot of disagreement and, and variety Um but I guess we can start with effective altruism because that's a little bit more well-defined. Um, mm-hmm. And y- you work full-time at an org that um, tries to help people find careers that are kind of in line with this thinking. So you're probably in a good position to give us a definition here.
1: Yeah, that one does seem easier to start with. So I guess I would call effective altruism this kind of project of trying to use careful reason and evidence to work out what is the best thing uh, to do, what, what would do the most good. And then also, once you work that out, to try and actually do it. Um, and maybe a couple of things I would point out about uh, effective altruism as defined like that is that it doesn't have a particular kind of political philosophy um, attached to the, what, what that answer might be. In fact, it doesn't really say anything about what that answer might be about what does the most good. Um, I think in practice, there is some convergence around certain um, types of moral philosophy or thinking about ethics that a lot of people within the effective altruism community tend to hold, or um, even if those aren't part of the definition. But yeah, I think this is like a, a little difference to uh, yeah the leftist kind of view, which is much more grounded in, I think, political philosophy than moral philosophy. Right,
0: right. And and I think a, an important framework that is often used within effective altruism is this idea of importance, neglectedness, and tractability or solvability. And mm-hmm. so it's basically, like, you should look at issues that are more important rather than less important based on how many individuals those issues affect, like the scale of the problem, more or less. Um how neglected the issue is. So if a ton of people are already working on this and a lot of money is going towards it, then it'll be less neglected. And then the marginal dollar person, et cetera, will do less good. And then uh, the tractability, like how much can you actually solve this problem? Like, is it something where it's a really big deal and maybe it would help a lot to solve it, but it's just like not doable? Um, and then few people are working on it. So, you know, like wild animal suffering is this kind of like out there EA idea, but I think it's like really emblematic of like, okay, a lot of animals in the wild suffer. So the scale is quite large and not that many people are working on it. Um, it's like barely a thing people have heard of. So it's quite neglected, but then like tractability, it might just not do as well. Whereas something like climate change, it's like, okay, the scale is quite large and tractability you could debate, but I think that there's like there Are pretty clear things you can push for, mm-hmm. like subsidies for green technologies. Yeah,
1: I think I'd agree with
0: that. Yeah. And, and then, like, the neglectedness is less clear because, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars go towards it every year, and lots and lots of smart people are working on, on this problem, which is not to say that we have as many resources towards it as we would in an like, ideal world, but mm-hmm. the marginal person will just not be as. Uh, productive as in some other issue that is just as important and just as tractable, but has uh, way fewer people working on it. And so I think this framework like helps explain like why effective altruists often care about the things that they do, and why that might look a little bit different from what the left is is caring about.
1: Yeah, I think the focusing on things that seem big in scale is relatively common sensey and I think that um, most different people who are trying to do good in the world would kind of understand that as a as a facet of uh, the decision making criteria. Um I think it's more when we come into the neglectedness and the tractability where uh, there can be like differences in takes on this and also some of the sort of some of the tensions that we might talk about have come from
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so moving on to the left. Yeah, what how would you define this? And I guess like what type of left are you, you mentioned social justice. Um, I -hmm. guess like this is sometimes in tension with like a more economic or class oriented uh, approach to the left. Um, And as mentioned, you're from the UK. uh, So that looks a little bit different. So, Just give us a a crack at it and I can also
1: try and fill in. (laughs) Yeah, this one's much... I do think that this one is much harder. Um, I think that one definition to start off with is, yeah, we're talking more about either something in this sort of like socialist left or um, social justice or something Marxist, rather than something around more like centrist or liberal type uh, left um, for this conversation. Um, And then beyond that, I mean... I feel like I don't have a good ready definition to give about um, what what kind of leftism might mean here. I think there is things that come to mind are kind of concern around um, justice and power structures, um, equality, these being like important kind of principles. Um, and... Uh, there's like a slight division between uh, a sort of like more Marxist classist critique and a sort of more social justice critique, which uh, tends to be tends to have like more elements of thinking about identity in terms of race and gender, uh, which are kind of like Marxist class critique doesn't tend to cover as much. Those are some features, but I don't know whether you want to jump in and, and give a more crisp definition, Garrison.
0: Yeah, I I think this is so hard. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Nathan Robinson has a book, Why You Should Be a Socialist, and he kind of defines socialism as like people want to make the world better. It's like there's more to it than that, but it's like this pretty <laughs> big definition. And then some people are like, no, socialism or, or leftism just means that you want workers to own the means of production. Anything else is just not that. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's like this social justice idea, which might be something like you want everybody to have like an equal shot at a good life regardless of their their gender race uh class sexuality etc and equality of opportunity is often framed as like a kind of right-wing thing but if you actually took it seriously you know given that privilege compounds over generations uh, you'd have to kind of reset things across every generation and so i think equality of opportunity is actually a a pretty radical idea Um, and and i think Social justice, I mean, the the social justice warrior uh, term is is often used derisively. I think fighting for a just society, one in which uh, people, yeah, have a shot at a good life regardless of where they were born and who they were born as, um, seems like a a really good thing to aspire towards. I feel like the identitarian left is like sometimes what a lot of people in effective altruism think the left is. and this might be something like, yeah, like these immutable identity characteristics just are the defining feature of our politics. Um, and we should organize around like fighting discrimination based on those ideas. And the, this like often is at the expense, I think, of like a more class-oriented way of thinking about things. And I, I feel like a lot of people within effective altruism like critique the left and they're really talking about like identitarianism. Um, which I really want to distinguish from like uh, a maybe more class-based version of the left. And I guess I should say personally, I I was you know engaged in some campus activism at, at Cornell and, and started this prison reform group, as I mentioned. And I found that the the people in college who were also engaged in po- political activity were like more on like the classic like social justice left. And um, I felt like a little bit out of place there. I think there was like more focus on stuff that felt navel-gazy to me. So... There was way more activism on a $400 health fee that was instituted for the students, which is like a tiny fraction of the $40,000 tuition that we're paying. And like there were like really, really angry, uh, large protests against this. And nobody was talking about mass incarceration or solitary confinement, like issues that I thought were just more important. Um, And I don't think that this is like an inherent to a social justice approach to the world. And um, like I said, I, I think of... You know, fighting for and an to to mass incarceration uh, and solitary confinement to be like on the step towards building a more just society, but I, I guess like in practice, like it just felt like yeah, a little bit more like looking at things that you had a lot of control over and less at like looking at things in like this more systematic way and like who is actually affected the most by by this. But that's a bit of a digression.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, to stick up a little bit for the sort of social justice people focused on, like, racial justice, kind of contingent, I, I would imagine that, in fact, they have done, uh, uh, people who sort of are part of that kind of movement or, or those kinds of ideas have done, would prioritise quite highly kind of caste uh, cast or, uh issues and uh particularly because those disproportionately affect communities of color so i think there's it's not all i think it's not always the case that i think some of these uh, the social justice stuff takes you away from some of the bigger problems um in in a particular like a country um but for what it's worth i think there is a difference between the us and the uk a lot of the time on some of these things are just to i think my experience of kind of campaigning and the sort of community action has been a little different i mean in part because uh you know, a lot of this, a lot of my experiences of some of this stuff are from how student camp, what student campaigning was like 20 years ago, um, which is a little different to how things are now. But then also, I think in the UK, we just have, um, because of the demographic makeup um, and we just, uh, ethnic minorities are are much more minority. Um, I think it's there's a little bit more um, by necessity forming coalitions and um, it's just much more common, I think, that um, me and my family, when they sort of go to, protests against police brutality or whatever it is, are very much kind of working with elderly, retired, old um, white people in the community. And that's kind of the, uh, I think the identitarian uh, nature of it is a little dialed down in the UK, because uh, sort of kind of by necessity of, of sort of, you know, forming coalitions with uh, and sort of how can you actually kind of practically make progress on some of these issues? If that makes sense. Yeah,
0: that, that makes sense to me. And, and I think like, I might be taking too much from like a parochial experience that that I had. But, um, yeah, I think there's like obviously nothing in tension with like fighting for social justice and and advocating for an end to mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. Um, and to your point, like there's often a lot of overlap there. Um, and I, I do think that the left has gotten much better at focusing on things that actually matter. Um, at least maybe like, this is just not being in college anymore. And, and so people are a bit more mature and they're living in a, city and there's like issues that affect more people that you can start plugging into but yeah so I, I want to move on to I guess like this the the ways in which the left and effective altruism agree and disagree um, mm-hmm. and I, I think like there's this meta point that I want to make and I found this paper from this guy uh, Josh Kissel it's like a philosophy paper from a few years back which is attempting to reconcile, uh, anti-capitalism and effective altruism. Um, and it's the only paper really like this that I found. Um, and he was saying that like, there's more of an epistemic disagreement than a theoretical one between effective altruism and, and anti-capitalism in his case, um, where people, uh, within effective altruism might be like perfectly open to the idea that like an anti-capitalist worldview or, or, intervention is like the best thing to do um, because as you mentioned, they're not wedded to a particular political philosophy and that because effective altruism is like cause neutral and and just trying to look at like what actually works to help the most people um, broadly construed that there's like not this important disagreement. Um, And so I want to like kind of state that up front that this will probably end up being a discussion largely about like in practice differences between effective altruism and, and the Mm -hmm. left.
1: Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And I think maybe a couple of things I want to say as well are that like on a lot of these like points of tension, I'm just like incredibly sympathetic often to the, the leftists and not always, don't, I don't always think that effective altruism as a community or um, has always got it right. So I will definitely flag those times. I am pretty interested in there being more of this kind of discussion and engagement. In particular, I think in the early days, uh, there was more kind of critique about effective altruism. And there was this kind of focus on global health and development. It was more focused on, there was like relatively more focus on like individual philanthropy in those in the earlier days. And I think there was more kind of engagement and critique then that is still around and is still there to read. But a lot of the thinking has moved on since then. And I'm really excited for there to be an increase. Increase in engagement again on some of these ideas around existential risk and long-termism some of the like things that have come more to promise prominence over the last few years which we can definitely touch on
0: yeah yeah for sure no it is it's been interesting reading a lot of the older critiques and, and thinking about how they still apply and, and where they don't apply
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know effective altruism a lot of the socialist critiques or critiques from the left focus on the fact that it's Phil- philanthropy-oriented, which I think it still largely is, but then it's also really focused on like individual obligations to others or opportunities to others to help others, um, depending on your framing, and less about like what we can do together as a, as a movement or as yeah, networks of, of people. And I feel like an important piece of context here is that effective altruism was started by a handful of academic philosophers who were just like, how can I do the most good with my like meager Mm -hmm. salary as such? It it kind of reflected this like individualistic approach. But then, you know, the first effective altruism global conference that I went to in 2017, the uh, theme that Will McCaskill talked about in his keynote was like, we were focused on doing good better, but now we want to focus on doing good together um, and and actually like working together and, and like... Taking advantage of the fact that we can get more done as a coordinated group, um, mm-hmm. and as it's moved more towards like long termism, uh, this has led to more focus on political change and, and systemic reforms, which were a lot of the critiques of of EA in the past. Um, I, I I do think there's this kind of funny thing where. You know, vanilla EA or like classic EA was really focused on, yeah, global health and poverty, um, animal welfare as well. Um, but yeah, just like, like people living in extreme poverty in, in uh, poor countries around the world, um, suffering from preventable diseases and lack of resources. And so this is something where like, well, like, yeah, the leftist would be like, yes, that's a problem and we should try and address it. And maybe they disagree on how to address it. Um, whereas now there's still like more money going towards global health and poverty and animal welfare, Uh, efforts than historically has been the case within ea but Mm -hmm. like an even larger growth has come from the long-termist uh side of things which are focused more on things like existential risk um so you know things that could kill everybody on the planet or permanently curtail humanity's potential um and this looks like you know biosecurity or nuclear security um and then like the the biggest issue for a lot of people in this is Risks from artificial general intelligence, which is the one that leftists like typically have the most uh, skepticism of that. or opposition to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and so there's kind of been this flip from like, okay, the critique was more on like the methods and not the uh, goals, and now it's more on the goals. And but they're like, oh, like the methods more, which is like we're engaging more in, in politics and we're actually thinking about like what are the levers of power here that could like meaningfully uh, change the likelihood of some given disaster. And yeah, I don't really think like have a point here other than saying it's kind of a funny situation to find ourselves in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to think that so those early critiques are of, of EA from leftists are just right. Like, I think that, um, as in, I think it is true that EA started off as this uh, thing that was trying, gave an opportunity to individuals um, to see how they could do a lot more good than they thought they would otherwise be able to do. And a lot of that was focused on the impact of, well, if you're going to donate, what, how can you donate some money so that um, you can do even more good than you would otherwise? I think it is true that in at that point, a lot of the recommendations for what, Uh, where to donate and what like the most effective kind of levers to pull would be was very much premised on the fact that uh, EA isn't a large power in the world. Um, The kinds of people who are being able to hear this message and act upon it are a very small number of people. Um, It's not going to be the case that, uh, yeah, it's not going to be the case that the kind of the most effective thing for them to do even coordinating is going to actually be uh, necessarily something that is changing the entire structure of uh, the way the society is, uh, is like organized right now. EA was setting itself slightly more modest um, ambitions at this point. It was like, what is the best thing for people who are interested in EA to do, given the size that EA is and given uh, the resources at our disposal? Um, and then as time has gone on, like you say, uh, EA has, uh, effective altruism has like grown as this movement. Um, there's a lot more people interested in it. There's a lot more resources available. Um And the scope of some of the issues has also changed as well. And along with that, there has been a shift in focus on changing the methods. There's like relatively more emphasis on things like politics, like you say, um, communication of ideas through like journalism. I guess, you know, some of these ideas like AI might have started off being a bit more uh, uh, technical and a bit more thinking about like, this is a kind of like a technical AI safety kind of computer science type problem. And over time that has grown a bit to sort of understand the need for there being governance and policy worker in the AI space as well. So even that one has kind of like become a little uh, wider in scope. Um And I think that's good. I think this is like a, I think this is like a good change. I think like people were in fact, correct. I think at the beginning to say, look, if you're trying to do the most good in the world At all, like what's the absolute most good in in the world that you can do? It is not this, Uh, and I think that was correct. Like that wasn't, in fact, what EA was trying to do at the time. Wasn't like the most good in the world that anyone could ever do. They were just trying to answer the question of what's the most good in the world that like we can do, given that there's like a couple of hundred of us who are interested in signing a pledge. Um, So yeah, I have a lot of sympathies with uh, the leftist critiques that. Were around back in the day. Um, I'm like excited to see how the EA community has like changed and uh, over the last few years, though. And I'm, I'm really excited about there being a greater emphasis on things like um, working within government and not just uh, working within philanthropic uh, efforts as well.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that, and and I do think yeah, the critiques were largely correct. And and one of the things that's really appealing to me about effective altruism is that it's constantly trying to improve and, and look for good arguments against it. Like there was literally a competition to critique effective altruism and like the, mm-hmm. the people doing it were winning money, uh, which, you know, I, I can't think of other organizations or, or movements that have that have done this. Um, mm-hmm. And so like when people on the left would give EA a hard time or be like, oh, they're wrong at this thing. And I'm like, well, you know, you can you could join and, and, and like, yeah, or you can at least mm-hmm. like give that feedback. And if you do it, uh, if you marshal good evidence and, and make good arguments, then uh, they, they might actually listen. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really exciting. And um, I mean, I also said the same thing to people in EA criticizing the left. I think it's like EA is much smaller and younger, and so it's like probably easier to uh, to change things. But if you really think the evidence points towards some difference mm-hmm. in, in policy, like if you're like, oh, I think the evidence is against uh, anti-capitalism or like for capitalism, like, like you're not going to win that fight because that's like, what it means to be a leftist for a lot of people is to be anti-capitalist. Um, mm-hmm. But if you if you think that, like, yeah, I don't know, uh, carbon pricing is actually the way to go, which I think, like, actually it isn't uh, for <laughs> political reasons, like, then uh, you can, like, try and make that case um, on, on the issue level, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, and so I, I want to, like, talk a little bit, actually about we touched on some like of the tensions and like the way in which like EA has changed but I also want to talk about like the hidden agreement between effective altruism and the left Um, I I think that like a lot of the recent criticisms have highlighted uh, some genuine tensions and then I think in a lot more cases it's more of like a vibes clash or uh, just misconceptions that the left has about EA that I'd like to try and Mm -hmm. clear up in this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the first one is that to me, both the left and effective altruism are radically egalitarian. And so like one of the principles within EA thinking is this idea of impartiality, which is like, well, if you're going to try and help somebody, you should be impartial about who you're trying to help. Um, and this can still account for people you have a special relationship with. So you know you have friends, you have family, um, maybe you have like neighbors, um, and maybe to like lesser extent, you have some obligations to people in your your town, your state, your your country. Um, but like when you don't have a special relationship with somebody, you should just approach the world as if like you have the same obligations to everybody, and so you help the people who you can help the most easily. And so this means like if you're just trying to help people not die of disease uh, donating to charities in the United States or in the UK or other rich countries is probably going to be a lot less cost effective than donating to charities in sub-Saharan Africa that are doing interventions that are quite effective. Um, and yeah, th- this was just like deeply appealing to me because I just thought it was like bizarre that we just privileged certain people's lives over others um, based on race, based on nationality um, based on gender, et cetera. That that would just like deeply disturbed me and upset me, and and EA really like took this seriously, um, and I think the left at, at the very least like rhetorically commits to the same thing. Um, I think in a lot of cases like there's a lot more focus on the working class in in rich countries rather than like the ex- people living in extreme poverty in in poor countries, um, and you could say that's because like you can do more to help the working class in those countries. But at the very least, like people on the left would broadly co-sign this idea that we should like not privilege our fellow. Country men and women uh, at the expense of people uh, internationally.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, quick caveat there I'm sure the people who come from more of a like different political Points on the spectrum, people who come from more of a right wing perspective can, I'm sure, see things that they appreciate um, in EA too. But I'm going to be definitely talking about the kind of leftist perspective because that's the perspective that I come from also. And I think that um, yeah, this kind of um, radical egalitarian, this like very like principles that are more universal, um, seems to me to be like very much a feature more of the left than than uh, elsewhere on the political spectrum, um, focusing more on impartiality, focusing. Um, more on trying to overcome um, human instincts towards othering others and sort of, yeah, creating kind of groups of people that are treated less well. And actually, I feel like the left does a lot to try and overcome that and recognise how that, yeah, the things that are really bad about that and uh, to try and uh, push for a society that is much more egalitarian. In contrast to, you know, there are, there are other values that one could have that focus more on kind of like tradition or authority or something like that. And I think EA has a lot more common in the with the left on in focusing on some of these more like universal uh, values. And, and I guess the other thing that uh, this ends up cashing out in is that if in principle you treat everyone as um, everyone's life as equally valuable in practice, then you end up prioritizing helping the worst off um, because th- those are the people that are <laughs> the worst off and can be helped the most and should be helped the most. And I think both the the left and EA really takes that to heart, like you said, in terms of actually um, not just talking the talk, but actually doing something about it or taking that principle really seriously and, and sort of um, taking that as some sort of like maybe some moral obligation um, and actually, trying to practically do things to alleviate uh, those kinds of inequalities.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I, I actually distinctly remember when I was considering like identifying more as a socialist or a leftist. I was like, well, if I do this, I'll have to like actually do things about it. Because <laughs> when I was like a liberal, I could just like canvass one day every four years and donate and like post. Um, whereas like I, I kind of feel like to me to be a socialist to be a leftist like you actually have to engage in political action um, in some way. And it could be like, you know, in your writing, if you're a journalist, and in my case, um, it could be in political organizing, protests, uh, you know, political education, et cetera. And effective altruism also has this like really uh, big focus on actually turning your beliefs into actions. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's the famous research of like philosophy professors being no less likely to do (laughs) pro-social activities in the world. um, Whereas like, you know, people who identify with effective altruism, I think much more likely to be vegetarian or vegan, donate large fractions mm-hmm. of their income to uh, charity, donate their kidney to strangers, uh, like just down the list of altruistic pro-social behavior that I think we'd like to see more of in the world. EAs mm-hmm. just like really hit this stuff. And for socialists and, and people on the left, I, I think it's like a different set of things. Um, But, you know, I, I do think there are people who are, by and large, like far more likely to be helping others in with their with their time and effort uh, and, and money than than people who are not uh, political radicals.
1: Yeah, so I think there's some kind of moral seriousness um, that also kind of translates into a level of like responsibility on individuals um, that people take really seriously on the left. I think perhaps something that's particularly distinctive is how outwards facing this is. Um, I don't think I want to claim that um, people who are very strongly motivated by like conservative values don't feel as strong. Like I think it is very plausible that they feel very strong responsibilities to help their like family, their community, their church, like uh, whatever whatever it is. Um, Whereas I think the kind of the way that this manifests for people more on the left can be like much more kind of outwards facing a wider scope, um, much more about kind of, uh, yeah, that kind of wider community beyond just your family, beyond just your like uh, smaller community to something that's more... Like national or international yeah. or even beyond.
0: Yeah. No, I think that cosmopolitanism or, or universalism is, is a really mm-hmm. big feature of both and something that I find very appealing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess it links to the other sort of, we talked a bit about long-termism, we we'll mentioned mention it briefly, this um, idea that effective altruists take, or many effective altruists take very seriously the idea that we uh, might be responsible for or should pay attention to the welfare of people who exist in the future, so future generations and our responsibilities to them. Um, and I think this kind of feels like it fits quite naturally with uh, a leftist tendency to have this kind of like expansive cosmopolitanism or uh, considering other people's interests, um, even people who are like disenfranchised or don't have a voice themselves to try and stand up for their interests. So I think there's like some crossover there.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wrote an article or an essay in Jacobin yeah. called The uh, Socialist Case for Long-Termism, which uh, mm-hmm. makes this point. Um, and yeah, I do think it's like thinking about uh, disenfranchised groups or or groups that uh, are marginalized for whatever reason and, and advocating on their behalf is something that I think the left uh, really takes pride in and, and does well in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that long-termists are, are doing as well. And like, it can be framed as a, a matter of intergener- intergenerational justice. Um, I think there are a lot of good reasons to, to believe in long-termism. Um, it's like many good ideas have a lot of pathways to, to getting there. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there's like a pathway that is very consistent with, with socialist thinking. Yeah, I, I think a, a second point of, of agreement, or I don't know if it's agreement per se, but many effective altruist projects um, are responding to market failures. Right. And, and so, like, kind of philanthropy, by definition, is is going to be, like, rising up in, in, in places where uh, the market is, given that we live in a market economy and, and society, um, mm-hmm. places where the market is just not meeting uh, the, the needs of, of people. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of this like weird thing where like people on the left will say that like EA like lionizes capitalism or the market, and like there are certainly people within effective altruism who um, are pro capitalism or, or like come from like a more libertarian background. They're by no means like the entire organi- like community or representative. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I kind of just see like all of these things that we're trying to do is like fixing problems with a capitalistic uh, approach to the world.
1: Yeah, I think you, you might say that, um, yeah, it is just outrageous that we live in a world where uh, there are enough resources to feed everyone on the planet. And yet we live in a world in which it is there are people who go without enough. And there are some people who have like, far, far more than they could ever possibly need. And that um, just seems just seems ridiculous. And uh insofar as the people who don't have enough to eat, for example, are not able to, to get that. You you might think that what's going on there is that, like, this beautiful market is not considering it um, profitable or it's not working well enough, um, yeah, to, to actually sort of give these people the things that they, to provide them with the things that they actually need. Um, and you might think that's just like a, yeah, maybe that's like a thing that um, makes you incredibly angry with the way that goods are, like... Uh, distributed across the world. Um, And I think that this motivates a bunch of leftists to believe that this is like fundamentally just like incredibly like just really terrible and like we need to solve this problem and i think like ea's are with you there (laughs) we like people in the effect of community are like absolutely like these the people who don't have enough they absolutely like deserve to have um a decent standard of living it is like beholden on the on us as a human species to arrange things such that uh we fix that problem and ea's are very much on board with that kind of um project of trying to of trying to like Redress the balance there. Like every human has all the, the rights and dignity to to sort of um to, to have like a good standard of life. And I think, yeah, EAs and leftists, I think, very much agree on this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, personally when I learned about the stats of like something like five million kids die every year before they turn five years old, mostly from preventable illnesses, um, mostly from things that like just don't exist in rich countries. Uh it's just like makes my mm-hmm. blood boil. Uh, this is just a damning indictment of the world as it is. And like you know, to try and argue from like the pro capitalism side or something to steel man that position, you could say like, well, like it used to be a lot worse, and like the only reason things are so good is because of markets and, and capitalism. Um, and I, I think like you know, I, I identify as a, a market socialist, and I, I think you can get a lot of the good things about markets, which is like price signals and exchange, without necessarily mm-hmm. having uh, life saving resources controlled by people who are just trying to make as much money as possible and, and Mm -hmm. deciding that certain people don't get to have them um, even if it costs them their life. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's just really, really frustrating and and saddening um, that there's just so many hundreds of millions of people, billions of people that just have to live with shit that we, you know, in the rich world have left behind and, you know, when like vaccine distribution was happening globally and it was just being done on the basis of which countries could afford to buy them, uh, mm-hmm. and there's just like hoarding happening and, and like stores of vaccine going to waste because people in rich countries like had already gotten their vaccine or like were refusing to get one while people were still like being killed in uh, poor countries from the coronavirus, you know, that also drove yeah. me crazy. And, and like mm-hmm. the only people really talking about this were people like on the left and, and within effective altruism because, again, like, there are people that have the moral seriousness to look at the whole world and, and not just the people in, in their neighborhood or in their, their city, state or country.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a good alternative to how to distribute goods better than a market does, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it does have this, Like, I completely agree with you that like pr- price signals um, for like demand it's like, we don't, we haven't really... Got a better solution, I think, for the majority of sort of how to how to like distribute resources. But it doesn't always it doesn't always get things right. Um, yeah, if you leave things to the market, then sometimes people aren't getting the things that they really need. Sometimes you have these kind of um, the like negative externalities that are uh, really really bad for society as a whole. But the sort of profit incentive um, doesn't stop people from creating these like uh, harms for everyone else. And so, like, climate change is this like classic example of. Um, companies doing things that are in their own best interests, but uh, are like incredibly damaging for um, humanity at large. And uh, yeah, so another example of kind of market failure. And um, yeah, a lot of EA efforts go towards some of these things around trying um, trying to sort of, do something in the in the space of whether it's like provision of public goods or whether it's trying to like address these kind of negative externalities. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I think that's a, a huge part of what governments and, and I guess like philanthropists as so a stopgap um, mm-hmm. should be doing, and, and the good ones are are doing. Yeah, and I think uh, wealth redistribution is another area where uh, there's just like a lot of people within effective altruism who think that like it's crazy that some people have a huge amount of money um, while many people have basically nothing. Um mm-hmm. and I've seen this argument or critique you could call it uh, criticism from from some on the left of like oh EA just wants like these billionaires just want to avoid paying taxes and there's like hiding behind philanthropy to feel better um and and I think like that's true for many billionaires uh and I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are doing like sus stuff to yeah like avoid you know paying paying taxes um. Mm-hmm or doing like PR through their philanthropy. And that's like how a lot of billionaire philanthropy is. But looking at, at EA billionaires who are like committing publicly to giving away 99% plus of their wealth while they're still alive. um, And in some cases like made the money just to give it away. uh, That just doesn't really ring true to me. And it feels like more like a just misunderstanding of, of like what this community is even about. Um, and, And like, to some extent you have to go off like of faith because I I guess it's like hard to commit your money in a way that doesn't like also restrict your, your choices or something. But when I, when I had a conversation uh, with Rucker Bregman a few weeks back uh, he wanted EA billionaires to like literally legally commit their money to charitable causes um, just so like they could kind of sidestep this the the way the Patagonia founder did Mm. recently. And I, I think this is a good idea. I, I think there are like there are probably a bunch of practical considerations. Um and like yeah, flexibility would be really important because you'd want to not necessarily have all your money in like a 501c3 because it means you can't like invest it in a company if you think that would be the best way to approach it or like give it to mm-hmm. political candidates, et cetera. Um mm-hmm. but part of me is just like, come on, there's gotta be a way to to do this. Um and just like kind of like uh, burn your ships, so to speak, and and, and really, yeah commit,
1: commit yes yeah, exactly to, yeah yeah i mean that seems like it's good if uh yeah it seems like it would be good to be able to make it extremely clear even clearer than it is right now uh how um what people's like genuine motivations are because i i very much sympathize with um a, a sort of a general skepticism of people's motives. Um, I think that most billionaires, they don't, you know, they don't, you don't owe them uh, to like bend over backwards and try and like assume that they've got like hearts of gold or anything. And um, I think that it's like, it's kind of reasonable to be like a little suspicious about why people might do things. And if you, if it seems like the thing that they're doing is, has some like suspicious convergence to what would be in their best interest, then maybe you want to be like a little skeptical when they are really doing it out of like good motivations or not. Right. Um so I am definitely like uh I'm definitely like sympathetic to a um to a sort of like caution around billionaire philanthropy in general. I don't think that the the sort of the perfect solution to the problems in the world is that a small number of individuals who have disproportionate amounts of power uh, are in charge of calling the shots about uh, how things get solved. Like, that doesn't seem like the best way of solving things to me either. It seems, like, profoundly undemocratic and, and not really, like it doesn't have any good grounding in like why that ought to be the case. Like what gives someone the right to be able to decide um, how and whether malaria gets um, eradicated or not. Um, if there's any kind of grounding in like what actually gives someone the right to do that, it is not, you know, being the founder of some tech company <laughs> that doesn't confer upon you the right to do that at all. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely like share some of these like skepticisms that um, people on the left have, but um, yeah, I think that a lot of the people who are really actually committed to the uh, EA ideas of trying to do the most good, who are doing it from, who are doing it and giving away large sums of money, are just like head and shoulders above many other people who are engaged in the and the process of trying to do good in the world. They are like uh, really like putting putting money on the line, are doing tremendous amounts of good. Um, and EA's are very much on board with this process of like <laughs> move that money. Um, I, I think it seems it seems much better for it to be um, given to give directly or against malaria foundation or um, yeah all number of different kind of causes rather than uh, being left to the billionaires themselves. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and like I resent the existence of billionaires in a, in a world with so much uh, deprivation and and preventable suffering, and and I, I do sort of agree with like yeah. Every billionaire is a policy failure <laughs> um, that that kind of <laughs> at least like the spirit behind that um mm-hmm. and I guess like to take the other side of it a little bit, you know it, we already live in a world where like malaria isn't being solved by governments um or foundations like it's like getting closer, but um so like adding another billionaire or something towards that endeavor doesn't really change like the power distribution that much it's more just like playing the game because that's how you advance outcomes in in this world and like we can lament mm-hmm. that um, but it still doesn't change the fact that like yeah there are people that need help and, and won't get it but for uh philanthropy and, and in a lot of cases billionaire philanthropy and I think like mm-hmm. whether you look on that with regret or like uh no this is good this is actually like how we want things like a bunch of people will become like thousands of people will have thousands of times more money than they'll ever need. Um, but some of them, like some tiny fraction of them will actually be pretty cool. And so that's like the best way to distribute resources. like that just seems wrong to me. Um, it just seems really inefficient. And uh, if we had like, yeah, uh, more democratic control, uh that that could be better. Like there's a I think a Dutch foundation, like one of the world's largest foundations is actually democratically controlled. I, I don't know enough about this, but it's it's pretty interesting. like because I think the the argument for philanthropy, is often something like governments won't do the thing, and and private businesses won't do the thing, uh, so only mm-hmm. philanthropists will do it. And I think like in some cases, like some like really out there ideas, like like fighting like wild animal, like the interests of wild animals, or early work on like artificial general intelligence, existential risk, and benefit a lot from you know philanthropy. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be bad if like those things never really got the resources that they needed to become like mainstream and to become uh, consequential. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it still seems like a a bad state of affairs to just like trust so much power to this unelected group of people. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's never going to solve all the problems. I mean, like compared to how much budgets uh, governments have, I mean, they obviously have a much bigger role to play ultimately in being able to like really create the world that is uh, the best world that we could possibly live in. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of good in absolute terms that can be done by philanthropists. And certainly, you know, when we're talking when we're talking about on the margins, um, what we what we can do as a movement or what we can like achieve, it seems like there's a lot that like philanthropy can do that is really good. And, you know, some of these things are, are going to be things that um, leftists are also extremely you can point to as being like, um, yeah, like great progress on leftist issues has been through philanthropy as well. Um, I think the one that comes to mind is sort of, you know, like how much of a difference the birth control pill has had yeah. to, for women's rights. And that was something that was um, like funded by a private philanthropist. Um, I think that's like a, a like an example of, you know, that's like a, that's a very good thing to have happened. Right. <laughs> I am personally very grateful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. And then uh, Marx was funded by Engels, um, who you mm-hmm. know worked at his father's factory, um, which is like, yeah, a famous case of earning to give, which is something that uh, is much derided <laughs> by, by many on the left. Um, but it really enabled Marx uh, to do a lot of the writing that he mm-hmm. would not have been able to do otherwise. I want to move on to like some of the misconceptions that the left has yeah. about effective altruism. Um, I think like, yeah, we just mentioned earning to give. Uh, this is something that i think was most propagated by 80,000 hours your your employer um so uh, habiba justify justify yourself <laughs>
1: Um, so in the early days, this was emphasised quite a bit as one of the more counterintuitive, one of the more hooky ideas that 80,000 Hours had um, as a way to do good in your career, which is you can deliberately try and go and earn more money than you would otherwise in order to be able to give it away to effective causes. And in doing so, you might actually have more impact than you would if you went into a direct uh, a job where you were directly trying to do some of that work, especially if you happen to be a particularly good fit for making a lot of money and like not that great a fit for, for going and doing some of the direct work. Um, I think I do want to emphasize that even in the early days, eight thousand Hours did talk about other, other parts as well. We weren't just an organization that talked about having to give. I mean, the my entry point into uh, effective altruism personally was going to a talk at um, university where uh, Will McCaskill and Ben Todd um, were talking about this new organization that they were kind of setting up and their early ideas about um, high-impact careers. And, I mean, one of the things that kind of uh, struck me and that I really remember from the talk is that they did talk about a variety. They had these different, like I think the different archetypes of different types of careers you could do. One of which was around influencing politics and going become like an MP, which was the thing that I had kind of cashed in my mind as like the path I wanted to to go on. And so it didn't like rock my world that they, they were thinking about only weird and unusual things. They were like very much recommending, you know, pull the different levers that are out there, including like normal politics careers could be really important uh, for trying to change the world. Um, So I think uh, even from the beginning, Effective Altruism has talked about multiple different kind of careers that you could uh, pursue to have an impact. Um, And Earning to Give is one of these. I think it still can be like, particularly valuable. And perhaps the the biggest um, example of success is uh, Sam Backman-Fried, who has gone on to make um, billions um, and then is one of these people that you've mentioned who has pledged to basically give away, like, all of that wealth um, to effective causes. Um, and, and that's, like, I mean, it is plausible that that is one of the most uh, useful things that 8000 Hours has done in inspiring him to do that. Like, just think of, like, how many different... Um, hopefully people's lives are going to be saved by the fact that um, that money is going to be given away and and helping people, which is, I think, I think it's, it's pretty great. (laughs) It seems like, it seems like that was kind of good. Yeah. Um, I do. Uh, it's it's not a major part. It's not one of our sort of um, major recommended parts um, at the moment anymore. We don't place as much emphasis on it. Uh, in part, this is because um, with the sort of uh, larger funds available from sort of foundations like uh, Sam Ackman-Fried's Future Fund and Open Philanthropy Advisors Good Ventures, um, there is less of a need for individuals to go out and do their own little like go and become a... Uh, McKinsey consultant and uh, Donate. Um, And uh, there's a relative emphasis on actually the real, the really tricky thing, the the thing that we really need to get more people who are really good fit working on are sort of solving some of these like unsolved problems that we really just don't know how to make progress on. So like uh, we're kind of flummoxed about how to try and make AI actually safe for all of humanity and like I would really love to get some more people working on that problem. And so if someone's a really good fit for that I would much rather than working on that directly or similarly someone to go into government and try and um, try and like uh, pursue effective uh, policies. There uh, seems really good and very plausibly those things are more. I think those are just like more valuable as a, a use of people's careers nowadays. Um, so those are like some thoughts. Was there a particular thing that um, you wanted to ask about? ITM? No,
0: no. I think that's that's really helpful um, context. And yeah, I, I think it's this might be too inside baseball, but my my take is <laughs> like pushing earn to give at the time. It was very likely just very, very good uh, for reasons you mentioned like you could I mean, I guess that the worry is that like this was a sticky idea, a meme that yep. that stuck around like past its uh usefulness or something. and this was like mm-hmm. a thing that we got attacked for a lot from the left and and otherwise. um and it just like is one of the things that people think of when they think of effective altruism, even like many years mm-hmm. later. Even though it's like not really emphasized as the primary thing to do, even though it was like never the only or, or like the main thing to do, um, but yeah, because it got Sam, um, it kind of like swamps everything. Like having you know ten billion dollars to to put towards uh, good causes is is like pretty good
1: it's pretty impressive yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah I, it's very plausible that this was like uh a, a messaging mistake like a bit too a bit too excited about this like shiny concept that might like, grab people's attention yeah. um and the kind of un- like ended up sticking around for uh for too long in a way that is like unhelpful uh because um you know things things have changed and uh and like our thoughts have like developed
0: yeah yeah i guess my other Point on this is like a bit of a hot take, which is something like, you know, it, in journalism, if you have a counterintuitive claim, it's just much more likely to get picked up or even published in the mm-hmm. first place. And so there's like this really kind of milk toast version of effective altruism, which is like we should try and do good, and more good is better than less good. And it's like okay, mm-hmm. like no shit, um, like nobody really cares. <laughs> like that's not that interesting. Yeah. But then like saying like actually the the best thing you could do is working at Goldman Sachs and giving away you know 50 percent of your your income to bed nets for for poor people in sub-Saharan Africa it's like oh that's that's kind of interesting like that's counterintuitive and like uh kind of makes me a little bit like uncomfortable or like makes some people mad and like gets engagement and you know this may have alienated some people but I think it also drew a lot of people in in the first place and I think like hearing a bunch of ideas that were yeah counterintuitive but like actually kind of makes sense um at the very least like push your thinking and and like show like hey we're actually really focused on like what works and, and and what is true um not just mm-hmm. like what is good for expressive reasons um that i think is like very appealing and appeals to like the right type of person who would find effective altruism to to be intuitive and, and a good home for them
1: mm-hmm. a, a couple of the core things around i need to give i think just resonate quite a lot and i think are basically pretty unobjectionable which is like you could stand to uh give away more. Mm -hmm. Um, You person who is reading this in the first world. And when you give away that money, you could stand to give it away more effectively. And I think both of those two things are, well, like part of some of this early focus on like the giving what we can pledge and uh, formed part of the earning to give strategy. And those things I think are just like true and unobjectionable in my, in my view um, and remain so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I agree. And and I think, yeah, that like individual call to action um, is, is really important. Mm -hmm. And, And I think like, you know, the left will often have this thing of like, well, like it doesn't matter what I do because, you know, these giant institutions, these governments and businesses and mm-hmm. whatever are like really the, the thing to focus on. Um, and at some level that's true. In another level, like you can still do things that will help even at the margins. And then I think like mm-hmm. maybe the more important thing is to say like when you start doing the smaller thing and you like actually, even if it's not like that small to you, like whether it's giving 10% of your income or going vegetarian or vegan or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I think that actually primes you to do more. Um, I think you're like mm-hmm. signaling to yourself that this is something that's important to me. Almost in the way that like going through hazing in a fraternity, it's like, well, I wouldn't do this unless <laughs> I really wanted to be in the thing. Um, and yeah, this is like probably a terrible thing to say, but uh, <laughs> like, yeah, joining Yeah, it's just like being hazed. So, but um, yeah, I think like just being like every day that I, I don't eat meat or every year that I give 10% of my income, mm-hmm. it's like, this is a thing that's important to me. This is a value that I you know, I hold And then from that Mm -hmm. follows other implications uh, about what I should do with my life. And I think Mm -hmm. that's like a lot better than just like this sort of like, well, like, you know, it's just the government, man, or it's just these big companies that are doing climate change. Like, it's not like me personally. Um, And yeah, that's uh, an important piece of the puzzle.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and yeah I think that that was important to me too in the years that I was doing consulting and and donating I think I wouldn't um, classify what I was doing as necessarily earning to give I think it was more like um, donating whilst whilst sort of doing a normal job rather than like really really trying to optimize for like earning the most amount I possibly Mm -hmm. could Um, but nonetheless I think doing that kind of having that as a regular thing that I was doing donating as part of my paycheck uh, making that part of kind of the way that I'm living my life by my values was really important
0: to me. Yeah, yeah and I think um, this other uh, misconception that the left not everybody, of course, but some people on the left have about effective altruism is that um, there's like this zero-sum competition where like donating to global health charities means that you can't like organize um, or engage in like left politics in other ways. And it like, mm-hmm. at the limits, this is true in the sense that like, you could donate that money to more explicitly like leftist organizations, um, or any kind of like organizing you do for like effective altruism, like you could theoretically do towards the left. Um, but I mean, for a few years, like I was like donating, yeah, to like global poverty and health, um, donating to animal welfare charities and then spending like, uh, most of my like, you know, volunteer time, uh, working on like left political projects, whether that was like writing or, or activism or whatever. Um, I do think, like, over time, I've started – I've spent, like, more of my professional and and volunteer time on effective altruism causes. I think I can just, like, have more influence on this community since it's smaller and younger, and I can, like, bring Mm. more to it. Um, But, yeah, I'm I'm curious if you have thoughts on this kind of, like, zero-sum
1: idea. Yeah, I think um – it seems correct to me that, you know, people contain multitudes, you may have like multiple different things that are important to you, um, ways that you want to divide up your time, there are things you can do with your career, there are things that you can do with your donations, things you can do with your volunteering time, um, with your political like advocacy as well. And uh, yeah, you can do different things with, with all of these different um, facets of your life. And together be I guess expressing the values that are important to you I think effective altruism pushes um or like holds dear more this idea of prioritization and so um is going to I guess as a as, like, a set of ideas um, has more to say about, like, what is actually the most important thing to be doing um, in a way that most other kinds of communities or ideologies don't have as strong uh, opinion on. Like, I think um, it's not necessarily the case that, uh, according to, like, a leftist ideology, you uh, have, like, a numbered list of uh, the top things to be doing, necessarily. Um, And so there is, there can be, like, some amount of tension between what you think is sort of the the very most important thing to do, um, but in practice, there's just really nothing from nothing stopping you from kind of doing multiple things. Um, I'd like to I'd like to try, and like I said at the beginning, I think I like to try and have like, you know a foot in in, in multiple camps. Um, and I think I know plenty of other people who also yeah do similar things.
0: And I think this last one uh, of a misconception the left has about EA has come up quite a bit recently. And it's it's kind of the funniest one to me because it's basically saying that like effective altruists are, are techno optimists um, and like this is um, they're like techno utopian or something and it, it's it's really funny because people within the effective altruism uh, and, and in particular the, the long termist communities are the most afraid of technology people that I, <laughs> I know um, mm-hmm. and you know if you look at like the the two biggest existential risks. By a lot of people's uh, measures, it's like artificial general intelligence and uh, bioengineering, like engineering a pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. These are the consequence of super advanced technologies that will just get more dangerous as technology improves. Um, so as it gets like cheaper to synthesize DNA and like our techniques for bioengineering get better, it's easier for smaller and smaller teams with with less and less uh, education to make a super bug that could like kill people perfectly and like transmit very easily and and incubate for a very long time. Um, And this is like a terrifying consequence of the modern world. Um, And then obviously, yeah, artificial intelligence in in many ways is like the ultimate technology, because if you can solve it all the way, like create like things that are smarter than humans that could like solve every other uh, technology that is solvable. And yeah, there's just like a lot of people that think this would be like really bad. Um, myself included, I think that like if we built AGI right now, like we would be like it'd be more likely to be really, really bad for humanity than for it to be neutral or, or really good. Um, and so, yeah, this just feels like a fundamental misreading of the community. I have some thoughts on like why this is the case, but I'm curious for for your thoughts on this topic.
1: Yeah, so I think that's something around. Uh uh, people who are concerned about these kinds of risks tend to think that technology is incredibly powerful and has the uh, and has the ability to shape uh, a lot of what happens in human society. Um, and I think that can easily get misread as thinking that 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 is like a good thing. Mm. Um, but I think it there's perhaps something like. The, the sort of the leftists who are skeptical of the techno-optimism may also be just like skeptical that technology is actually even that big a deal. Um, and so sort of it may be going a bit together where it seems like um, some, of the, some of the people who are worried about these X-Risks would maybe tell a story about how uh, inventions of various technologies have been like very transformative in the past. And that might not, uh, the leftists might not um, have quite the same view about what has been so important, what has been impo- important historically. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it is very true that um, a lot of the foundational beliefs around these technology is like is very like risk averse and very like risk focused. Um, so, for example, Nick Bostrom, who's this philosopher at Oxford, has has a TED talk where he sort of describes the anal- analogy of humanity is sort of drawing coloured urns, coloured balls out of an urn, and you can't see what colour the ball is um, until you draw it out. And so far, we've been drawing out um, bits of technology that we've been inventing, and that these are one colored balls, which means that they're safe. Uh, And maybe by now we've had a few like gray colored balls like nuclear weapons, which potentially actually pose a threat to all of society. And we're carrying on drawing out the balls out of these urns. And like, maybe we're going to get a black one that smells the entire doom of society. Something that is like the equivalent of being able to uh, create a nuclear weapon in your own back garden. If we get to a point where that's possible and any like um, person can do that kind of thing, that's an incredibly dangerous world to live in. Um, and so it is is—it is just really true to me that like a lot of people who are motivated by these concern for for um, artificial intelligence or engineered pandemics are coming from like a deep fear of the uh, uh, like carelessness um, around creating technology that could be really dangerous. Um, I think it is also true that um, some people also feel like uh, there is uh, the possibility for these things to go incredibly well. Like you said, you know, it, it's possible that if we create kind of very advanced artificial intelligence, it's able to actually help us um, solve more problems and uh, make advances in medicine or, and like uh, that we wouldn't have been able to achieve nearly as quickly ourselves. Um, and so I think a lot of people are, um, hold both things in their mind. Um, I, I think there are sort of uh a separate set of people who are more techno-optimist, who maybe are easily confused with the um, the X-risk concerned people. And maybe that like also causes some confusion, where it's like easy to kind of assume that uh, the person in Silicon Valley who's doing an AI safety startup seems a lot like the person in uh, Silicon Valley who's doing like an AI startup that just wants to... Um, change the world through AI, where in fact I think they are quite different people. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think you basically nailed what I was going to say. And and yeah, like Sam Altman, I've seen as described as an EA or a long termist, and it's just he's just not um, like <laughs> to many people. He is doing very dangerous, maybe like the most dangerous thing you could be doing, which is trying to build towards artificial general intelligence through his company OpenAI. Um, and you know he'll say like, oh yeah, we need to be safe and and whatever, but like you know he's moving. Full steam ahead, I think towards this goal, and um, yeah, like he is not somebody who's like coming to EA Global or yeah, like being cited um, or citing like EA sources on, on the reg. Like I'm not completely familiar with his entire body of work, but um, I've just like seen him on like a left wing podcast, like lumped in with like EAs, and I'm just like, no, like like we we really are worried <laughs> about him and, and people like him. Um, so I think that like confusion is happening, and then yeah, I think there is there are a lot of people who care about x risk from artificial intelligence who think that it would be really really bad if we never built agi um, and i think like this is like a point of actual disagreement within the x risk like community but you know the machine intelligence research institute kind of like the og ai safety people like their stated position is like yeah if we never build it that would be a, a great tragedy because there's like all the stuff that we wouldn't be able to do that could be really good for mm-hmm. you know th- human flourishing etc um and, and part of me is sympathetic to this as well um you know if, if we could like get to some position where we could like provably know that it's safe um and not just like aligned with like, what the creators wanted to do but that the things that the creators wanted to do are, are also like good um then like yeah building it would be a good thing i just i'm skeptical we're like anywhere close to that um Mm-hmm. Or if, like, we could even ever know that. But I think that's, like, a further down-the-road conversation. And at the very least, like, yeah, people within this community are, are really, really worried about yeah. a lot of these technologies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some nuance about sort of how likely you think different scenarios are going to be. Because I, I think I can think of, like, sort of at least four. Like, one where, at the very worst, things go incredibly badly and we end up in some, like, dystopia for an incredibly long period of time. Um, then there's another version, which is uh, we end up, like, uh, we, something goes wrong and we end up extinct and there's basically nothing for all of the rest of time. Um, then there's yeah. another one, which is like, we don't create any like, uh, amazing new technologies. Life continues r- roughly as good as it has been so far or something. And we stay sort of, you know, roughly in the kind of society that we have, like perhaps like still bound to Earth and we don't sort of explore the rest of the galaxy or something like that. I think people might argue about how good this is. Um, it depends on, how good you think um, life is right now, um, and then we have this like fourth version of the future where, in fact, we get some like great new technology. Potentially, we sort we like make a lot of moral progress, and in fact, we end up not just being um, not just living for a really long time on Earth, but also like maybe creating some flourishing civilizations in different places as well. And then, like how good that world. That universe could be could be incredibly incredibly good um, it seems like it might be um, yeah just full of a lot more things that you might value uh, than the current world is and sort of how you look at the future and how you look at the value of um, or the disvalue of AI being um, created kind of depends on sort of what probability you put on each of these different kinds of scenarios panning out um, and if people disagree on which seems most likely, they're going to disagree on how good or bad uh, developing AI is going to be. Uh, so there's there's going to be some nuance, and there are different um, opinions. I think amongst even people who are uh, like working to reduce the risk of some of the bad outcomes.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you said four futures because there's a there's a book called Four Futures uh, uh-huh. out from Verso, which is like by a by a socialist, um, and his four futures are communism rentism socialism and exterminism mm. and i think it's like two axes i think one of them is like abundance and then one of them is like your political affiliation um so it can kind of like left right and then like how much material resource we have so mm-hmm. like abundance left wing would be like communism like or uh, scarcity left wing would be socialism and then abundant capitalism, would be like rentism, and then like scarce capitalism is exterminism. Um, I've not read this book, but uh-huh. uh, it was like an article that got turned into a book because it was very popular and, and mm. interesting. Um,
1: interesting, yeah, but yeah,
0: it's just funny to have four different things. in there. I mean, different I guess four. like the one you're describing, like the communism one, is sort of like the, the like, yeah. yeah, this is like the post scarcity, fully yeah, yeah. automated, luxury, gay space communism Absolutely. world. <laughs> <laughs> and in that sense, I think like leftists and e a s are are actually quite aligned in like what kind of future we want um I think there are some like interesting questions of like population meta ethics that uh e a s engage with a lot, and like people on the left i don't think have like thought about as systematically some have of course but like mm. just it's not a conversation that comes up a bunch
1: yeah yeah I, I, mean, I think
0: that's like an interesting thing
1: this is the thing that i really really want to hear more about uh, because i think a lot of people in the ea community spend a fair amount of time thinking about what would a good future look like um and uh i think like the left often has a lot to say about how how society ought to be organized in the future and what would look good for that and what would look like bad a lot of the effective altruist discussion Includes kind of thinking about sort of how big the future should be and what 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 good looks like there. And I think I am pretty interested in hearing a bit more from the left perspectives about um, yeah, does it in fact seem like lots better if we could have um, not just people living like really happy lives on Earth, but also like on other planets? If that like if we can imagine in this kind of like post scarcity world, so uh, um, yeah, would that would that look good? How important is that? Um, I think I would I would love to kind of hear more. Um, have more engagement uh, from people with like leftist perspectives on some of those particular questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. And and I think this is a bit of a digression, but a lot of the criticism that I've seen of effective altruism recently, not just from the left, but just in general, is sort of like, here are all these problems with utilitarianism, or here are all these problems with like total utilitarianism, mm-hmm. and like, isn't that crazy? Like, this binds you to these counterintuitive um, or seemingly bad. Uh, things that you'd have to do if you want to be consistent with this view. And I I feel like they're often either unrealistic scenarios or like, yeah, they seem not great, but then any other uh, meta ethical system like virtue ethics or deontology or average utilitarianism or Mm -hmm. person affecting view, like like all these views commit you to certain positions that seem like weird or wrong or gross or whatever Mm -hmm. um, at some like gut level. And I think it's just intellectually dishonest at, or at the very least, like uh, not very serious to to just say like, oh no, there are problems with this view, and like I'm not going to defend one myself because like, oh that would be weird. Um, and yeah, this is just like a really frustrating conversation mm-hmm. for that reason. And then it also I think just doesn't engage very much with like, okay, you say that like a bunch of people motivated by utilitarianism or, or total the total view are going to do these like terrible things, and then you look at like what are people within the effective altruists or, or long-termist community actually doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, they're saving like over a hundred thousand lives uh, and like fighting for, you know, farmed animals and making sure we don't all die in a cataclysm. Um, and then it just, it just strikes me as like, well, you should look at like what people are actually doing. What what are the things that are, are the outcomes of, of this people with this worldview? Um, and it doesn't look that bad. In fact, it looks like pretty fucking good to me. And uh, I don't really know like what your alternative system is that just like sidesteps all of these uh, objections.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the annoying thing about a lot of philosophy is once you start engaging with the problems with like one view, um, you end up finding there's some like impossibility theorem that like every view has some like fatal flaw to it right. or something. It's like deeply frustrating, I think. Um, uh, I think um, effective mushrooms is kind of unusual amongst social movements that it really quite seriously engages with uh, trying to get to the right answer on some of these different things and like, like ethics specifically. And also acknowledges we can't possibly know what the with for certain what the like right moral view is like what is the correct thing um but then it goes one step further and tries to say then okay so then what do we do in this state of uncertainty and um i think that's a pretty sensible thing to do is to try and like take seriously our views on these different issues and try and work out like um given that we might be a bit uncertain between um these different views and they would tell us to do different things like what is actually the most sensible reasonable thing to be doing here
0: yeah yeah and I think like one objection I've heard to this uh, is pretty good. It's like, well, like you don't actually need a, a system of meta ethics um, or like moral philosophy to figure out like good things to do um, in political action. Like you can just like look at like something where maybe it converges on all of the different ways of looking at it. Um, yeah, it's this is just like a distraction to, to focus so much on like this philosophical underpinning. Mm-hmm. And then like to that, I'm kind of like, well, sure, maybe that's true in like some cases, but like. The further you get from, like, you know, places where our moral intuitions can guide us towards good outcomes, uh, the harder it is to, to really, like, decide where to put your resources and, like, what policies to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, at some level, you just have to engage with this with this idea.
1: Yeah, I think I feel most comfortable that there's, like, a fair amount of convergence on a lot of the global health and development stuff. I think that yeah. um, kind of whatever walk of moral, f- like, ethics you have, most people would agree that we really ought to be doing more to um, alleviate the the situation of people who are the very worst off um, our society is just like so bad on whatever dimension you pick whether it's like uh, like total happiness or whether it's um, like justice or um, yeah whatever any of these different like views might, um, might tell you to like value I think they often really are going to converge on like but we should do more when it's like relatively easy for us to do it um, I think that uh, there do start being some differences on some more unusual issues and like even animal welfare is one of these where I think that um people who take somewhat more seriously uh the idea that um it's really important not to necessarily cause suffering to like a creature that can suffer um which you like uh a view like utilitarianism takes pretty seriously are more likely to take animal welfare more seriously than um, certain other views where you can probably get to the same conclusion, but there's enough flexibility there that like people don't always get there. Um, And I think some of these things, yeah, some of these things are like important to take, to like interrogate a little. Um, And uh, I do feel like we can hopefully get to better, better actions by actually engaging with some of the like core issues here. Yeah, I hope that some of the long termist stuff and the x risk reduction actually ends up looking more like one of the convergence cases uh, than the animal welfare stuff. Even um, I think there's like some, there's actually some chance that that is the case. I think it maybe like hits on some of the like justice intuitions. It hits on kind of uh, thinking about like duties to different generations and generational justice. Yeah, again, this is just like I want, I want to see like more exploration of ideas here, and maybe it does in fact converge, and maybe that should make us feel like more confident that this is like a good thing to do. Then,
0: yeah yeah, I mean, I think like human extinction being bad <laughs> is something that a lot of people can agree on from many different
1: mm-hmm. worldviews.
0: Um, and even if you're just taking like, you know, a person affecting view of population ethics, which is like only people who are currently alive have moral standing, um well, you know, if the risks are substantial in our own lifetimes and that affects people who have moral standing and and therefore we should like work towards reducing those risks mm-hmm. And like maybe you could imagine some tortured scenario where, like, you know, you could do some action that would only reduce extinction risk like a hundred years from now, like the preceding hundred years. Like mm-hmm. then, maybe the person affecting uh, view subscriber would not endorse that action. But it's just like very hard to think of anyone where that would actually be true mm-hmm. um, or at least where you would know it.
1: Yeah, and and like you said, like the issues that people are like currently work on currently working on, if you look about like what are these kind of these EAs these long termists actually doing? they are generally working on things where um, the benefits accrue over a very long period of time, but the like the deciding point is very much more um, within the next few decades, at least according to the people who are working on those things.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think there are a lot of ways to assessing the risk from like uh, engineered pandemics or, or artificial intelligence that come out to being like substantially more than the risk of you dying in a car accident over the course of your life. Um, and, and reducing, yeah, that risk seems like if you could like put a seatbelt on humanity, um, <laughs> that would be a good thing to do uh, under like basically any, any worldview.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the, I like that analogy of putting a seatbelt on humanity. I think like lots of different views would come down on being kind of like more prudent. I'm not entirely sure that always the that those kind of like um, risk estimates would would go through on effectiveness if you don't include uh, if you don't go that far ahead in including that many future generations. I think um, I think it's very plausible that if I if I really really only cared about the people who are alive right now today, it's very plausible that I would focus more on like health, global health, than I would on um, preventing a very, very bad pandemic, because those very, very bad pandemics I think are plausibly like a lot less likely. You don't need to take that much more of a view towards like, well, maybe we have general, like responsibilities to our children. And like, do I really care what happens to my like gan- grandchildren? And, like, maybe I do. And like, that takes you like quite far into the future already. Um, and right. so I don't think you need to like expand your frame of reference that far in order to um converge on um, some of these things being relatively more important than they would have otherwise. Yeah, agreed. Yeah,
0: I think like some misconceptions EA might have about the left saying that, like, yeah, the left is just, like, only cares about, like, identity issues, uh, doesn't really care that much about, like, you know, poverty or something, like, compared to, like, yeah, Like, I, I don't know how, how many people truly argue this, but I think, mm-hmm. like, often when people are talking about the left, they're they're really talking about, like, this particular flavor of identity, identity politics, which is something, like, if, you know, we should make sure that the board of Goldman Sachs has, like, a perfect cross-section of society um, on, like, race and gender and sexuality dimensions. Um, and like, that's like what it means to build a just world. Um, and I just don't think that like speaks to a lot of the left that, that I identify with and, and that a lot of people mm-hmm. identify with.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that sounds right.
0: And then, yeah, I, I think this idea that like the left is just anti-market, I mean, market socialism is not the most popular view. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there are like social Democrats, which like some people will debate whether they're on the left or not, because like <laughs> some people draw the the line at like anti-capitalist or not. Um uh-huh. But I, I think that uh, there are. I mean, like the founder of Jacobin is is working on a book on market socialism, and I know a few other like somewhat prominent uh, leftists who identify that way. Um, and I think like when I've argued with EAs about this, um, they kind of get a little bit stumped because they're like, "Markets are good." I'm like, "I agree," and they're like. Uh. <laughs> And yeah, I think it's something like I mentioned earlier. It's like markets contain price signals and their means of exchange, which are good. Mm -hmm. uh, But ownership is basically a result of like oppression in a lot of cases and just like hereditary lines. And so you look at a country where, like a Latin American country where like 90% of the land is owned by like 10% of the people. And those people are like descendants of of colonizers. And uh, it's just like not even close to efficient. Um, Like that seems really problematic. Like maybe there are harder cases like, you know, Jeff Bezos like built, Amazon with like a lot of workers, of course. Um, but like you know, like he did do this thing, and he was like a successful entrepreneur, and he's like arguably creating some kind of like consumer surplus, and and like he's capturing a fraction of that in, in personal wealth. I think you could maybe even have a version of uh, market socialism where like you still have entrepreneurs like capturing some amount of the value that they create, um, but like with like much stronger worker protections, uh, worker ownership of the organization so they benefit from uh, from the growth and like. I think that if everybody's wealth was, you know, ten times like every like rich person's wealth was like ten or a hundred times smaller, but like the rank ordering was the same, they'd get basically the same utility out of it because a lot of it is mm-hmm. just like uh, a pissing contest at this point. Um, and so you could like preserve a lot of those same uh, motivators. But anyway, now I'm just getting into like, <laughs> you know, my political <laughs> worldview. Um, I don't know if you have any anything to add on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like this might be the case where. Uh, when it really comes down to, like, what are the specific things that uh, leftists might object to, or at least some of these, like, markets, uh, somewhat more pro-market leftists might object to, uh, just seems like there's going to be a lot of crossover and agreement there.
0: Yeah, and I guess, like, I want to move on into genuine tensions that exist Mm -hmm. between these two. Uh, I think there are, yeah, just candidly, like, a bunch here. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of this is just, like, vibes um, and aesthetics. Uh, Some of this is, like, issue- like specific issues. And then some of this is like a uh, more like general approach to like how like, you know, an epistemic approach or whatever. Um, and I, I, think like there's this quote from a Paul Gumberg uh, from the fallacy of philanthropy, which I think precedes EA, but I think it does capture something. Um, and so this is a quote. He says the philanthropist assimilation of problems of poverty to duties of rescue rivets attention on saving the victims Thus, it tends to deflect attention from away from the investigations of the institutional causes of hunger and from practical proposals that would attack those institutions. And I believe he's actually directly referring to uh, rebutting uh, Peter Singer and his uh, famine, affluence, and morality, which is like, you're walking to work, you're wearing an expensive suit, there's a child drowning in a shallow pond, do you jump in and save the child and ruin your suit? And, like, everyone says, yes, you should do this. And he's like, okay, well, actually, you know, it costs, like, not that much money to you to save lives in poor countries. Um, And so it's like the equivalent of you not walking, jumping in the pond to save the child. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so Gomberg is like arguing uh, that this is just like distracting us from, from like these institutional causes. And, and I got to say like, I I find a lot of truth in this. Like I think a frustrating thing for me um, being on the left and in EA has been how little of a conversation there's been about like, why is it so cheap to save lives in in poor countries? Mm -hmm. Um, And why are people so poor when they've been receiving lots of aid? And uh, like, yeah, why is the world the way it is? Mm -hmm. Um, And like very few people within EA, my experience will like be familiar with things like the trips agreement, which is like this international property regime um, or like, yeah, uh, tax havens or like unbalanced trade and like all these things that like lead to like net flows of money from from poor countries to rich countries despite like the large amounts quote unquote large amounts of aid going to those countries
1: yeah i mean i think probably upfront, this is like one of the critiques that i'm very sympathetic to particularly the global health and well-being stuff but particularly the stuff that is about how do we best help the people who are alive right now um and uh yeah like Uh, the very poorest in the world. Um, And there has historically, I think, been some more of this focus, like as we've sort of talked about, of kind of um, giving people opportunities to be able to see how they can use individual philanthropy, but working on the margins here about sort of where is it that like one extra person can sort of try and do something that might actually um, like help. Um, I think there's like a little bit more of a focus in the early days on being able to find opportunities that seemed like they were actually doing good um, and actually just like rigorously looking at the different places that like as an individual donor you could be donating and actually try and find out well which ones are actually um, doing something where you know they're really paying attention to how this is working on the ground and like is it actually helping people or is this just like the whims of the donor and it's going to change and it like ultimately doesn't actually help anyone at all um, I think that that is a noble aim insofar as that is the problem it was trying to solve was like trying to help an, uh, an individual donor feel like feel more confident that the particular um, global health charity that they were donating to was actually going to have some like specific defined like you could be relatively confident it was going to have some like specific defined benefit for the ultimate beneficiaries um, in contrast to a lot of other different global health charities. Um, Over time I think it is good that there has been some of a shift towards thinking not just about some of these targeted global health charities but also some like The things that might be going on at uh, a wider level. Um, So a lot of this kind of this focus on like particular targeted interventions where like particularly like insecticide treated malaria nets or things like that um, might be characterized as like these randomista interventions where you know like doing a randomized controlled trial is like the gold standard of effectiveness and uh, wanting to kind of fund some of those like specific things. And there's been you know one of the most popular Posts I think on the effective altruism forum, this kind of online discussion forum, is about how uh, maybe that might be like not the whole picture, and there's like a case for actually focusing on like economic growth as a way of lifting people out of poverty. Which I think is like is one addition, one alternate story uh, for how we might help people even better. Um, it's not quite the same story as the one that you were talking about, but it is like an attempt to move more in this direction of thinking about kind of structural or or systematic kind of ways of helping people um, and trying to move away from like overly overly focusing on things that can be like... uh Easily quantified. I think that's good. I think that this is a space that I know a little less well than some of the like existential risk um, or long termist spaces. I think if I were more involved in the global health and well being space within EA, I think I would be more excited about now that we have more resources um, that we can actually look for more ambitious things that might make a bigger difference. And I know that I think, for example, Open Philanthropy has looked into things like um, lobbying on how aid is uh, used effectively and like maybe that's something that would be really useful to fund because that is a bigger lever on actually trying to change things. Um, and, uh, yeah, there are, there are things like like more in that direction that I would be pretty excited about, uh, the effective altruism community, like paying more attention to, I feel under informed on some of this to some extent, but I think I probably don't believe in the same way that I did kind of 10 years ago that like the most effective thing to do is to donate to some of these like, uh, give well recommended charities. If your goal is to try and help the the people who are the very worst off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. and, and, I agree that this this bites. Um, I do think there have been some cool ideas um, from the EA community on this. Um, one was a, a forum post about tax havens and and cracking down on, on tax avoidance um, mm-hmm. internationally could be comp- cost competitive with uh, give well charities and I think mm-hmm. it makes like a pretty strong case and it was like well received I, I don't know if this led to like an organization or, or funding um, but I'd be excited to see more ideas along those lines. Um, Basically, yeah, like poor countries have less means of enforcing um, their tax codes and means that the wealthiest people in those countries and, and companies like can hide their money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And it just like doesn't go back to the, the governments and the welfare states and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like trillions of dollars globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is like a type of thing where it's like, okay, there are specific like policy changes that could help this. And there's been some effort and some success made uh, in that domain. Um, that would help people in extreme poverty, and, and just p- help people broadly uh, who are like not wealthy around the world. It's a system change argument, and it's mm-hmm. uh, redistributive, um, which is like and like compulsory <laughs> redistribution, um, which I think like yeah, there can be a lot of agreement there. Takes a little another, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then another idea, this came from uh, my my fiance uh, Arushi Gupta and uh, my old coworker Jendai Jones from uh, Give Directly wrote a forum post about international macroeconomic policy reform. Um, so if you look at like things like the international monetary fund or the world bank, uh, their policies seem to have a, quite a big effect on economies of, of developing countries. Um, and things like the structural adjustment programs of like the eighties and nineties, uh, from the IMF, which are like, trying to like li- liberalize these economies and like, uh, remove like protectionism and, and like enforce a bunch of, and like saddling countries with debt. Uh, had a lot of really bad consequences for uh, people in those countries and, and for those countries' economies. And I think there has been a move away from that because it just like was uh, pretty clearly like destructive for these countries. But there's probably more that can be done uh, in the positive case uh, to use these institutions to actually help uh, grow these economies and and, and like make the, there be like inclusive growth as well. Um, mm-hmm. And this is for the Open Philanthropy uh, New Cause uh, Prize mm-hmm. competition. And yeah, so another I can, one of those like, examples of...
1: Oh, nice. Another one of examples of, like, uh, a lot of effective altruist institutions being, like, trying to incentivize and being very open to being given new ideas. Um, I think I wouldn't be surprised if the current portfolio of things that EAs fund is, like, not the optimal location because we have a lot of kind of, um, uh, like, founder effects or sort of a lot of momentum from some of the things that were uh, more early on found. But I think this is, like, a good direction of travel. Um, And I don't feel bad about EAs having, you know uh, funded a lot of life-saving, um, like, uh, interventions in the past, I think I just feel like pretty good about us, um, engaging more with some of these ideas of, of other things that could be, uh, that could be like good levers to pull. Yeah, I, I
0: think you're gonna
1: link those, um, those things in the description. It,
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, um, there's another thing, which is like, I mentioned this earlier, but EA, I think doesn't care as much about the working classes of, of rich countries as people on the left do. Uh, which is not to say that like EAs don't care about these people. They'd just be like, mm-hmm. well, like there are more people in extreme poverty, or like we can help them more easily to a greater extent, and they need to the help more. And so we should focus our efforts there. Whereas, like, you know, uh, an American socialist might spend a lot of effort on like lobbying for like, Medicare for all, um, mm-hmm. or uh the the Pro Act, which would like help people unionize more effectively. And Mm like, I think there are really good reasons to argue for both of those things. Um, both because they could help a lot of people and because they would be good politically, like they would help, you know, your side win more elections. Um, Mm -hmm. they would be like popular, uh, if implemented, I believe, but like increasing the foreign aid budget or something, uh, by like, like doubling it, which would be like, you know, maybe as likely as getting Medicare for all to pass. Like, I I don't know. Uh I think they're both like pretty hard things to do. Um, the EA might be, a, you know, that would actually help people even more um, if that money was just, like, used in a good way. Um, and, yeah, so I don't know how you think about this.
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, so I very much feel extremely mad about the inequalities in the country in which I live. Um, like, this is, like, a, a thing that I think is, yeah, I think it's, like, very good and reasonable to uh, to want to improve the like the injustices or sort of like alleviate the injustices that you see around you. Um, I think that the difference between effective altruists and uh, leftists here when looking at these issues is probably not going to be a difference in like the absolute how bad the thing is in absolute terms or how good the solution could be in absolute terms. It's very much more about like in relative terms to other things, how how one would rate, how important it is to work on this. Um, and I think in contrast to the, the previous point about kind of the global health and development stuff, I think this is an area where I feel more sympathetic to the effective altruist view than I do to the, the leftist view. Um, I think that um, you gave some reasons why uh, leftists might particularly focus on some of these things. Um, I think there are some other kind of principled reasons why One might feel particular duties to people in your own community, um, uh, like kind of duties of like, you know, we're part of the same society. We've got like duties of like reciprocation and sort of um, maybe we have rights and responsibilities by virtue of kind of participating in the same society. Um, And then there's also this like practical thing of, uh, you know, if you really prioritize kind of... um, Listening to people and understanding what it is that they need, and then trying to like come up with solutions that are very like tailored to to local like needs, um, you're going to be much better at uh, finding solutions for people in your local community, whether that's like you know even if that's like national, than you are about someone who's in like a completely different situation than you in sort of like a completely different country halfway across the world. Um, and so there's like some reasons why there some additional reasons why there might be like it might be like somewhat principled to. Uh, pay special attention to uh, things like unions, things like healthcare care uh, in your particular country. Um, but but I do think that there are some 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 worries I have with that um, and that kind of approach that I think basically might like take people away from doing the thing that is like even more important. Like, for example, um, yeah, lobbying for like in- increasing foreign aid. It's not clear to me that there is as much of a uh, a principled reason for focusing in this way. I think maybe there's some like hesitations about paternalism, about uh working uh, with people like trying to help people in other countries that you don't know very well. Um but I think that just gets in the way of this like really important principle of impartiality. Um and I think this was a thing I think like we've both said that this was like an an important thing that we feel like actually does really resonate with a leftist view around like just fully, like, uh, believing and feeling that, like, everyone has equal rights to to life, to, like, thrive, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't really see um a very principled reason to to not extend that kind of globally and take that really seriously um and so if, for example if you think about kind of debates about you know who's in the one percent of uh of like in wealth distribution i think like a lot of kind of domestic leftist discourse can talk about the one percent kind of nationally uh, and and then often a lot of activists would see the one percent as like someone else who is much richer than them. Whereas I think effective altruists are much more likely to to sort of point out that uh, you and I and other people uh, who, maybe other people who are listening to this, are actually incredibly likely to be in the 1% of people globally. Um, We are in like positions of like extraordinary privilege. Um, I think this is kind of like, if you make something like 40 grand after tax, I think you're probably in the 1% uh, globally on wealth distribution. Um, And I think uh, effective altruism brings a lot of Um, scope sensitivity in the way that uh, people think about problems. So being very attuned to the, to like, actually really like the scale of, of problems, um, And, uh, yeah, like, really, really paying attention to, you know, is something like a 100 times a bigger deal than something else. Um, And so I think the EAs have got it right here. Like, I think that um, a lot of the effort that goes into helping one's local community um, would help people better if it was, like, more outwardsly focused. And in in large part, I feel sad about people, like, uh, uh, there being lots of, like, committed, altruistic, like, energetic, passionate people, um, like, focusing a lot of their attentions on things uh that will will help people in the community where there are like lots of other much more needy people in the world who are not getting that level of like effort and attention and help because none of the other people in their community have the resources to be able to do this and so it's just gonna this seems like a really unfortunate like just really unfair like fundamentally deeply unfair situation to me
0: yeah yeah totally agreed and my experience with the left has been something like people will rhetorically, you know, commit to helping people internationally, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, like say the right things, but in practice, like their the vast majority of their efforts are on organizing to help people in their local community or in their national uh, state. And yeah, I think you hit on some like good reasons why that might make sense. Um, and obviously, like our political institutions can affect our domestic citizens like in a more obvious or direct way and or ways mm-hmm. that we can more predictably think would help them. Um, but it, it, does feel like, yeah, internationalist people like, like it's more on the EA side of things, at least right now. I don't know if that was always the case. Um, and I, I think that like, again, for all the different political movements, like leftists are the most internationally oriented. Um, I think it's just like a really hard thing to be in like jingoism or, uh, yeah, Just like prioritizing your own people, nationalism is just so baked into the political culture, cultures of the United States and the UK, and probably like every country, um, to varying degrees. But uh, I think it's like at least in the United States, extremely uh, big part of our political culture.
1: Yeah, I think, I think I've always, I guess, like at least my leftist journey has always been like uh, to be very suspicious of uh, nationalism and the like artificial divides that it like. Um, brings between people and yeah I don't know like very it feels very strong to have like kind of solidarity with um, people kind of globally is like a very strong kind of like uh leftist view I think like a lot of historical leftist writings you know are are very global in scope are thinking about um yeah and and like applied across kind of yeah people are thinking very much across like uh what, what would be like best for for the whole world
0: yeah 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 and I think like I mentioned this earlier but uh another tension is this like vibes or aesthetic uh, <laughs> tension. And so I think there's a few things here like like mm. a lot of people within EA they use the language of capitalism and economics um like diminishing marginal returns to dollars mm-hmm. on utility uh for example uh to describe how they think about things and there's this like yeah quantification uh that is really a big part of how EAs think about um, global poverty interventions, how they think about animal welfare, existential risk. like the, the actual numbers matter quite a bit. And mm-hmm. I think like this doesn't sound similar to how a lot of people on the left talk about things, which is like to frame things more in terms of like justice and like right and wrong um, mm-hmm. and are like our duties to one another. Um, and I don't think there's like actually attention in the underlying like beliefs necessarily, but like it just it's like this culture clash thing.
1: Yeah, and this is one of the ones where I feel, like, very pulled in both directions. I think, like, this mm-hmm. is actually one of the... Uh- Bits of EA that I feel like my inner leftist like feels like uncomfortable with. In in sometimes, um, I think there are a lot of good there are a lot of good reasons or a lot of reasonable reasons why leftists often have this kind of like skepticism of this kind of like over quantification economics kind of mindset. Um, I think it's just it's just true that like there are some things that are actually really important that are very hard to measure, and that if one focuses on the things that are easy to measure, uh, then you can just like easily lead yourself astray and. So, like, a classic thing might be, like, economists talk a lot about GDP. um, But, like, money really isn't the thing. Like, fundamentally, you care about, like, how are people doing? Like, what is their well-being? What is their, like, how happy are they? Um, right. And I think EAs often do this, where, like, can use, like, economic growth as a proxy for something. Uh, and, like, sometimes the shape of the graph is, like, roughly the same if you, like, actually substitute it in, like, how well are people actually doing? But, like, sometimes it's 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 not quite the same. And so um, I think it's, like, very good. like seems like a good critique to be, uh, from the left, to be, like, somewhat suspicious about, um measuring the wrong thing taking you a little bit like off topic um and then there's this kind of like fuzzier thing around um I think a lot of people in on the left have this kind of skepticism about uh how well kind of quantification could be ever done whether it's going to get you to the right answer I think there's a lot maybe this comes more from the kind of social justicey type view um around the idea that like no one is this like perfect unbiased scientist everyone is actually just like a real human in the real world mm-hmm. um and so uh why would you think that you would be above the kind of normal influences that people have, like the incentives, the kind of culture they've grown up in. And in fact, just if you look at the past, there are like lots of times where people like thought that they were doing unbiased like science. Uh, But in fact, we can now see with the benefit of hindsight that they were very much like uh, enabling and uh, excusing the like terrible biases of their time, whether that was like racism or or like sexism or something like that. Um, And I think... I think like a lot of like leftist thought has this kind of um has a lot of like good history behind it that like for for good reasons you should be skeptical of like some incredibly apparently incredibly smart person trying to like convince you that there is this like counterintuitive conclusion um that uh they they like it's like but it's like really really true um but I think it like leads some leftists to perhaps Um, rely more on kind of like cached intuitions about like what actually seems kind of like good to work. Um, Like if you sort of like, you know, pay attention to kind of like uh, to class or to gender or to race or something, if you like pay attention to like listening to communities or um, there are like certain kinds of interventions that seem like probably like more likely to work than others. Um, And so you kind of like end up, instead of like focusing on this like quantification stuff, focus more on some of these like cached heuristics. Um, So I am very sympathetic to a lot of this, like, scepticism. And, uh, but I guess there is the EA bit of me that's, like, slightly pushes back, that thinks that um, sometimes a counterintuitive conclusion that you can, like, draw an argument from, like, uh, pure statistics, like, is in fact, like, says something true and important. Um, And I think, like, for example, there's, like, famous kind of I think at least famous with the EA um, statistics about uh, the world health organizations, uh, analysis of different global health interventions that shows that there's this like really huge spread between some of them are like hundreds of times, hundreds of times more effective than other interventions. Um, mm. and that if true, this is like a very true and important feature of the world that we shouldn't like dismiss out of hand that actually could inform the way that we like take actions and what kinds of interventions we try and fund more than others. Um, and I think there's like some danger in kind of missing important truths if you like take this skepticism about quantification too far. And in fact, it, it, there's like some danger in like uh, being really off about what's like good or important. And perhaps there's some of the like the ways in which uh, the left might get things wrong is where there's like too much focus on like we think this thing is right. Uh, and therefore we're like less willing to engage with um, arguments Uh, quantified or otherwise that might sort of go against the sort of what seems to be right. Um, And and I think sometimes the kind of classic examples that Years would talk about um, where the thing that seemed good didn't turn out to be right at all, leftists could be like, I could have told you that beforehand. So you know, it was like a story of like play pumps, which was this kind of um, roundabout that kids were supposed to play on and it would actually like also function as a, a water pump. And so people could like get the water very easily in um, a community that didn't have uh, like a well. Um, and turns out this was terrible because the kids didn't want to play on it because you have to push it really hard because it's like functioning as a pump. And so then it turns out that actually like the women of the area had to push the Uh, like roundabout around to try and get the water out and like that's demeaning (laughs) who wants to do that Um, it's also
0: worse than a normal pump and yeah (laughs) everything about it was just worse
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so this is like a classic case of like, look, something seems like it might be a nice idea, and but it actually turns out to be like bad when you try it in, in practice. And like, maybe some leftists would say like, I could have told you that already. Like you, you know, you're like, you're bringing your kind of like paternalistic attitude. You think you know what's best for the community. You didn't really like ask. You weren't doing like a community led thing. Um, and like, sometimes they'll be right that their like heuristics were actually like correct in the first place, but I think not always. And um, so I think probably I do come down on this sort of like halfway house where I think I am very sympathetic to the vibes of quantification can be like off-putting and like can give you like uh, too much sense of confidence that you're onto something and like could potentially lead you astray. But I do believe that if done well, we can uncover some more truth about the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to give leftists uh, credit as well for another example, I think uh, anti-material bed nets is like one of the biggest interventions that EAs have, have donated to. And like one of the big uh, innovations there with like the Gans Malaria Foundation was to just not charge anybody for the bed nets right mm-hmm. and so like a lot of other charities or or efforts to distribute these they would like charge some like nominal amount right um, and even though it's like you know five cents to like protect your kid from a disease that could kill them it would be like rational even if you're very poor to to spend the money that way Um People just like weren't doing it because they were just so averse to, or they weren't doing it like as much as they like quote unquote should, because they were averse to just spending any kind of money. And like I think leftists often lobby for like universalist programs and, and mm-hmm. be like, okay, no, like healthcare should be free at the point of care, because um, like we want to take some things out of the market. Um, and you know I I don't know if there are like specific people on the left who are arguing like this exact point, but it's a type of point that like I see yeah. coming from the left a lot, which I, mm-hmm. I I'm very sympathetic to
1: hmm Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, yeah, and I, I think that there are... I mean, I think that the left is often right about the... often correct in the sort of... Uh, the principles that it might have about, you know, like, taking, like, I don't know, due concern for the people who are the worst off, but then also, um, like, treating people with, like, dignity and respect and, and whatever... any of these kinds of, um, uh, like, principles um, generally seem to be correct. But I think in hearing some... Um, particularly in hearing people's critiques of EA, I think that um, sometimes this can go a bit too far, and it can it can feel like uh, yeah, it can people can end up concluding things like look there's no silver bullets, like none of this stuff works that well, better than anything else. And we should just like, kind of, you know, the best that we can do with aid is kind of is, I don't know, just do some like random community led project and and see how it goes. And I think that's probably like too pessimistic a conclusion. I think like probably like some quantification can help us here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I, I think another one is just like, yeah, EA really spends a lot of time on prioritizing what are the most important things. Um, and like this rank ordering of, of, of issues uh, is really important. Whereas, you know, on the left, like, this isn't as much of a thing. Like, I think people have some kind of, like, top priority thing in their head. But it's more of, like, a, you know, like, like we, we should do a bunch of these things uh, at once. And, like, we shouldn't pick and choose necessarily. Or, like, to even do so would be bad. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I feel like I'm quite sympathetic to this ruthless prioritization. And, and also quantifying or looking to evidence where you can. Um, because the world is in a state of triage, right? Like we have scarce resources and enormous numbers of problems and, and people are dying all the time for, from preventable diseases or, or being uh, impaired or living worse lives than they, they might otherwise live. Um, and we just don't have enough or we maybe we do have enough to like make everyone's lives better, but like we don't control those resources. And so we really have to be ruthless with how we prioritize it. And, and I think this is something that EA just really like internalizes and groks it in a deep way um mm-hmm. and i don't see as much of this reasoning from from the left there's more of like this kind of idea that like we can do it all um and you know that that might be a bit of a caricature and like not fair um and there are people on the left who really do get this but it just yeah it's something that i like see a lot more uh, from from the effective altruist side of things
1: yeah, that sounds right to me. I think, like, I can't think of any other kind of community or uh, set of ideas that emphasises prioritisation and doing good, uh, like EA does. It sort of feels like it's kind of one of its most core approaches um, features of its approach that makes it distinctive. Um, I think that insofar as uh, other communities or other like sets of ideas like left the leftists might um, prioritise, even if, if there is some like implicit prioritisation happening, it's probably like most going to be like only on importance or only on scale and not consider sort of the neglectedness or the tractability, which is I think where a lot of the kind of frictions or tensions might appear compared to what EAs focus on. Because um, because EAs are trying to, like, work on the margins often, because they're trying to, like, prioritise really hard where this, like, extra bit of resource can do the most good, um, it tends to... Uh, to shift people towards like very deliberately working on weirder, more neglected things that people haven't heard of as much, because that's where some of the money can go further Um, and tends to like push people away from doing things that like everyone agrees is um, bad and we should work on, like for example, climate change. Um, Whereas I think the left takes like, a more um, ambitious in some ways, like a radical approach to just try and work on the thing that it thinks is like the most important, whether that's like overthrow capitalism, um, then just throw all your resources behind that. Um, And there is some worry that like EA with this like marginal approach gets stuck in a less than good, um, less than the maximally good kind of outcome, um, because everyone's just like working on the like the bits on the edges. Whereas if we had all coordinated to work on the really important thing, then maybe we would have had enough kind of uh, enough momentum, enough critical mass to actually make the really important thing happen. Um, And so I think I'm I'm most sympathetic to sort of people on the left feeling like um, other folks who are engaged in the project are trying to do good are sort of defecting by working on the margins and trying to do their like gradualist like smaller thing Mm. and like we all should be throwing our efforts behind the really important really big thing otherwise it's not going to happen at all um so i have like some sympathies with that um and i do think that yeah uh I, again, I guess like one of the themes of the things I've been talking about, that I, I am really excited for EATUS to be like setting its sights higher in some sense, and actually um, more and more trying to think about like okay, but like what actually are the really important things um, in the world? Given that we given that there's like more of a chance to make a difference now, um, uh, and, and that seems that seems very good. I think there's like possibly some tensions where um, even if uh EA was moving more in this direction, the actual particular priorities it picks might not always line up with the same priorities that leftists would pick. Um but there can be some convergence there, like some yeah. areas that we talked about.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I like that defecting framing. That's that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I do think something that the left does well and I think like EA does less well is uh being ambitious. Um and so like if you look at Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign, uh it was like wildly improbable, right, that this guy who's like an out democratic socialist is running for president and almost winning the nomination. Um and the, the fact that a democratic socialist was even a US senator in the first place is like pretty, pretty crazy given mm-hmm. like how bad of a word that that has been in American politics for, for so long. Um And his campaign, yeah, was really, you know, radical and ambitious. And uh, it kind of moved the entire country, I think, to the left. Um, It was the Democratic Party in 2020. A lot more people sounded kind of like Bernie in 2016. Um, You know, whether they actually would have done it is a whole other question. Um, But it was like this, yeah, really, like, improbable thing that happened. And then within EA, I think, like, this comes up the most on the AI uh, conversation, where people a lot of people will agree that like it would be good to slow down capabilities research um, in artificial intelligence because that will just buy us more time to figure out how to align it to human interests mm-hmm. um, and like a lot of people agree that this would be good but then they think like there's nothing we can really do uh, to actually make this happen um, whether it's like lobbying the companies themselves or lobbying governments or lobbying like uh, international organizations, And I'm just like, like Eliezer Yudkowsky, like one of the early, you know, people on AI is like so doomer about it. And it's just like this impoverished political imagination Um, in a world where like, you know, slavery ended, uh, even though it cost Britain like 5% of its GDP or something. Um, And, uh, the Russian revolution happened, like whether or not you think it's good, like, like it was like a crazy Extraordinary thing Extraordinary things
1: have happened. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And, you know, it's so early. Like, I think this is just getting traction within effective altruism and, and beyond that in the last few years. And I kind of think that like a few thousand people who are really dedicated with like tens of billions of dollars can actually do a lot, um, especially if the arguments are good. And I, I just get like frustrated and like, I want to shake these people and be like, like, look, if you actually think this is the end of the world, um, you should at least try first off. But also yeah. like, it's not that crazy to think that like, with a lifetime of effort, you could actually move the needle on this in a, in a real way.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would definitely have brought up that same example um, as well around AI. I, I think I, I completely agree with you here that I do worry that EAs often, when thinking about a problem, are too willing to take... Uh, current players as fixed and mm-hmm. uh, do some like multiple level of game theory and sort of like very plausibly accidentally argue themselves into doing a like not the best thing because they're taking the the board as like too fixed when we can just like change the game uh, a bit more if we were actually more um like were more radical about it um I think that some more of this thinking is coming through when people are thinking more about like long termism. Um, Will McCaskill's new book, What We Are the Future, like draws like uh, he's very inspired by the abolitionist movement and is very interested in like value change, for example. Um, Yeah, I would be pretty excited to see more in this space of thinking bigger and sort of being able to change some of the like, yeah. Uh, not arguing oneself into like a, a corner and actually just like uh, going full heartedly for like what actually seems like the overall best solution rather than like the next best one we sort of think we might be able to get away with or something.
0: Especially if you think the gulf between the best and the next best solution is is orders of magnitude difference. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Sorry, the like half laugh there was like a, a slightly like worried laugh about potential outcomes around AI. Yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha. Oh.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And I think uh this segues to another point, which is like confronting power versus trying to influence power. Um, I think the left is like much more comfortable like taking this adversarial, confrontational approach towards people in power and powerful institutions. Whereas EA is like a lot more like, well, like how do we influence them? How do we like get people in those institutions to point them towards better outcomes? Um and, you know, part of me is like thinks you need both. Um I, I do, you know, I, I I worked at you know, as mentioned at McKinsey out of school, and I thought that I could do some good like internally, while also like building some career capital. And I, I was able to like suggest a behavior rewards program in a you know prison that like ended up being implemented. Uh, and I did that when I was 21 years old, and like that was like a very cool, impactful thing that I was able to do. Uh, but then when I came back and worked for a federal agency and Trump became president, you know, my degrees of freedom were very limited and I felt like I was just like contributing to a a, a bad thing. And I had like Mm -hmm. this, like, are we the baddies moment? Um, (laughs) and yeah, I, I think like you can easily just become part of the system that you are trying to change, um, by trying to influence it. And at the same time, uh, spending all of your time, just like yelling at the people in power and powerful institutions might just not get you to the outcomes that you want. Um, and so I'm curious about how you think about this uh, this distinction.
1: Yeah, this one is tricky because it certainly feels like you have a lot more integrity if you sincerely believe uh, that thing X is bad and you just like organize and yell as loudly as you can um, to anyone who will listen that thing X is bad. And if this like requires gluing yourself to like some train or whatever it is, like that definitely feels like uh, an authentic way of um, speaking truth to power. Um, I believe that things like that can, you know, shift the Overton window or like shift the kind of conversation. Um, And like, if done well, can just be very important um, in uh, like, actually moving things in the right direction i think it is true that the effective altruism community historically has more often focused on this kind of working within systems um like a slightly more gradualist approach kind of um as well even in the things that they're asking for and i guess i feel like one of the reasons so i think like there's nothing in the ea movement to say that one particular um tactic is better than the other the entire thing about EA is that like whatever is the most the best way of doing the most good that should be the thing that we should do um I think there are like maybe some specific um like tendencies or biases towards uh preferring seeing a like a theory of impact or a theory of change where one can like uh more clearly connect the dots um as to like how the action turns into something good at the end um which like Potentially, there's, like, a bias there, and, like, uh, EAs with their, like, quantification bias and their, like, liking of precision have, like, skewed more towards um, particular types of intervention where it seems clearer, like, the, the path to impact seems clearer, versus other ones where it seems, like, a bit, like, fuzzier, like, how does, like, the shift in public opinion actually cash out in, like, the different thing actually getting passed? Yeah. Um, I think it's also the case that there are some particular issues that effective altruists tend to work on that don't lend themselves as well to this anyway. Um, uh, I think, like, some of them might do. Like, you might say that animal welfare is something that's, like, very amenable to mass advocacy or or, or campaigning. Um, But kind of preventing the next pandemic is something that is, in fact, like, probably just needs it doesn't like we don't need to have a national conversation about this necessarily. We actually probably just need like some specific things to be passed, some some more specific things to be funded that aren't being funded right now. Some like maybe some slight change to uh, like safety, like requirements for like labs that are working with very different, very like dangerous stuff. In fact, some like more attention on some of these things is like maybe less good. And so it's like plausible that for some of the particular issues that uh, EAs have worked on, they are particularly more amenable to more of this like working within systems approach anyway.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree that it varies a lot by issue. Um, I would push back a bit on the bio example. Uh, I think there are a bunch of things where it's just like, yeah, like there's a smart kind of like wonky technical solution that will help a lot. Um, But for something like gain of function research, which is you know this effort by scientists to collect diseases out of nature and, and make them more lethal or transmissible to Study evolutionary pathways to better predict uh, what will be dangerous, but in many cases, just like ends up making more dangerous diseases that will, like, almost inevitably leak at some point from a lab, uh, given how often lab leaks happen. You know, that's the type of thing where if the United States public were polarized against gain-of-function research, that feels good to me. Um, mm-hmm. a- in a way that, like, if they were polarized against uh, factory farming, would also feel good to me. But I don't necessarily want it to be like, we're all fighting over like metagenomic sequencing or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree that it seems better if there was like somewhat like popular opinion seemed like uh, more concerned about some of the things that seem dangerous. Um, I guess, does it seem like as necessary? Does it seem like it's uh, the most efficient way to get to the answer? Like it's less clear. I, I I can sort of thinking about other kind of, like, safety measures, like, bringing in seatbelts and things like that, like, it's Mm -hmm. less clear to me that, like, often these safety measures have been um, from a kind of uh, general populist demand, or whether they have more often been from a sense of kind of, um, I don't know, from a public health perspective, you've got to, like, weigh the harms and benefits, and, like, a reasonable conclusion is to sort of, to try and uh, mitigate the harms. Um, Yeah, I mean... It's possible that I'm just setting up two, like a false dichotomy. Like possibly this is one of those issues where actually multiple approaches just seem totally fine. And if people want to uh, work on public opinion as well as people working on some of the like the niche solution, both seem like they would work well together. Yeah. Maybe we just have to be more careful about where there are issues where like wider public conversation or something would be actually harmful. Um, and there are like maybe some issues that might fall in that category, but there aren't that many.
0: Yeah. Agreed. It's funny you bring up the seatbelt example. Um, I'm not super well versed on this, but, uh, Ralph Nader wrote this book, uh, unsafe at any speed in 1965, which, uh, talked about like, yeah, this, I think there's a through line from this book towards seatbelts, uh, being implemented in, in cars. Um, but I think it actually started like this kind of movement towards oh, towards okay. this effort. Yeah, so it's like it's yeah, like sort my of a my a very
1: yeah yeah my <laughs> picture like a terrible example here um, that in fact proves your point.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I don't know exactly what like the mechanism was, but I, I believe it was something like Silent Spring, where it's like this book comes out, it galvanizes a bunch of people. They call their Congress people and senators, and then like change happens. Um, and you could also imagine like you know pandemic prevention, like. Fun pandemic prevention is like a slogan that uh, I think if like a thousand people had science that said some variant of that in front of the White House or in front of the Capitol or something uh, tomorrow, like that seems like a good thing to me um, because it's just like, yeah, we just need to actually spend money on this. uh, And like Mm -hmm. the way we spend the money, like maybe the protesters don't have views on. um, But like there are people lobbying for this and have like a bunch of good ideas there.
1: Yeah, I guess uh – it's less clear to me what the key bottleneck is, um, whether it seems like people are politicians might be like unwilling to support something because they don't think it will be like popular with voters or whether it just doesn't seem like they really buy the case that this is that important. Um, I think like part of the reason why I'm a little suspicious of this is that I just don't think that I don't think I think that like politicians probably like assume that pandemic prevention is like. No one's against that. Um, mm-hmm. No one in like no no one in their constituency is going to be like, oh my god, I can't believe you voted for pandemic prevention. Like it, it seems a bit like uh, a um it's not a it's not doesn't there's not there's not very much that we need to like overcome in the public perception that would might that would make it like an issue that we need to get more people on board on like compared to for example like various civil rights issues like for example same-sex marriage where it feels like that was un- probably that was like unlikely to get passed unless there has been like more of a groundswell of like uh, clear change in public opinion um whereas I just don't think we need to like persuade the public especially post-covid that like pandemics are bad
0: Yeah. I mean, so the story that I've heard from people working on the, uh, on this issue on the American politics side from like an EA perspective is something like, yeah, nobody opposes it, but nobody was like a champion for it either. Um, and so like you have maybe a few hundred legislators who all feel like lukewarm about it. Um, And then when there's like, oh, no, this bill is too big. Like, there's too much spending. we got to cut something. it's easy to get cut, yeah. There's, like, people who are like, oh, like, this military base is in my district. And, like, this is a source of, like, 500 jobs for my constituents. So, like, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to keep it. And there's no equivalent person for that uh, on pandemic prevention. And so, I think, like, actually having, showing that there is, like, a constituency of, like, popular support for funding this um, could be good. I mean, I think, like, what's happening is, like, you know... This is something like SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried. It's like funding, like uh, lobbying efforts uh, for pandemic prevention. And like, it's clear that there's at least a very wealthy benefactor who will uh, help you win elections if you make this a priority. Um, And so a bunch of those people are now going to be in Congress and we'll see like like if, if it turns out that like that was the the blocker, now you have like 30 champions or whatever who are going to be in the next session who will fight for this. And we'll actually see tens of billions of dollars spent on preventing the next pandemic.
1: Yeah, I I guess one other thing I would throw in here, which I've only read, like, one article about, is the uh, theory that um, sometimes making issues more well-known makes them more polarized is actively unhelpful for uh, it being possible to actually get something passed. I think this is, like, the secret Congress theory, something like that. Um, I don't feel sufficiently informed to, like, have a very very strong opinion on, like, when this bites and when this doesn't bite. But um, I guess that there's, like... A reason that I can imagine, I certainly can imagine, like, a lot of EAs thinking very hard about whether this applies or not in a way that, um, to bring it back to, like, EAs and the and le- way that leftists might think about this. I think it seems, like, very unlikely that leftists would um, take that as much to heart in planning strategy. Um, in part, I guess, coming back to this thing I was saying about, like... Um, The integrity of actually just, like, speaking truth to power, saying the thing that you believe, um, and not kind of compromising by sort of uh, doing too much kind of strategizing uh, around how to actually get the thing passed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, a secret Congress, yeah, the thesis is, like, Congress actually does a bunch of things every year, uh, but you don't hear about them. And it's because you don't hear about them that they actually get done. Um, And the idea is like the bully pulpit of the presidency is actually often bad because uh, say there's some issue where like 60% of Republicans support it and 60% of Democrats support it um, in Congress. And then the Democratic president talks about the issue and then like more Democrats support it now, but then Republicans stop supporting it because it's like become like part of the, the, the culture war whatever, like the the active mm-hmm. left-right debate. Um, and so, yeah, I I think maybe I'll, I'll like revise my previous statement. Like if, if the people lobbying for funding pandemic prevention were, like, not partisan-coded somehow, um, then, like, maybe that's just good. But in all likelihood, they would be uh, partisan-coded and probably Democrats. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it just isn't really that much of a live issue, it seems. So it's, like, hard to say.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I could have necessarily predicted which way partisan lines would have fallen on a COVID response, but it does now seem like it would be more likely for Democrats to be more in favor of um more pandemic, more expert-led
0: pandemic prevention type uh, measures. Right. Yeah, and something you said there, I think, gets to another uh, distinction, which is like the left cares more about expressive value, uh, I think, and then EAs care more about like instrumental value. Um, and so, what this might look like, I mean, you'll hear like these arguments about like purity politics, right? And like we can't just expect all of our candidates to like co-sign every good position because some of those positions are unpopular. And like expecting that level of purity um, might just be like like electorally uh, disadvantageous, and so uh, like Democratic Socialists of America, like the largest like socialist organization in the United States, um, to get their endorsement, at least in New York, a candidate has to like commit to a bunch of positions um, on like a, a, a form, and a bunch of these positions are like politically probably not that popular. So, for example, like, even if you're running in, like, a predominantly, like, Jewish district or something, if you want the DSA endorsement, you'll have to commit to, like, calling Israel an apartheid state or or something like that, um, mm-hmm. which is, like, very important to a lot of people, like, in DSA. Um, but it's, like, this—it's the maybe the ultimate, like, expressive value thing where it's, like, okay, like, now, like, the most left-wing candidate is just not going to win this district because, like— Maybe it's just a case where like you're going to have a Zionist in the seat. Do you want one that's like a left Zionist or a like centrist or right Zionist? And like that is something where like at least DSA is just not going to endorse and and put their efforts towards that. And like maybe that's good. Like maybe like I I think there is actually something to be said for just having uh, a very strict like set of criteria. And if you don't meet the criteria, you don't get the support. And like DSA, you know. Few decades ago, I think, was just like endorsing, um, like centrist Democrats or something like, uh, for, for president, and because like they were just another democratic organization, and that's like they, they didn't have any power really. And so now they actually can like move candidates by being like, like Look, like we have lots of people, we can knock doors, we can help you win, but you have to like actually do what we want. Um, mm-hmm. and there's something like, yeah, valuable and admirable to that, but like occasionally it just seems like, okay. Maybe you're just, like, limiting your your effectiveness, whereas, like, EA is, like, much more, like, okay, like, what do we do? Like, we don't, if we have a candidate, like, you know, are th- we going to make them commit to something that will make them lose the election? In that case, like, let's not do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think these kinds of questions of, like, integrity versus compromise to try and do real politique, to try and, like, uh, trust that you're going to be able to do something even more valuable in the future. These are all just like really hard trade-offs and like hard judgment calls often to make. Um, There is often a temptation on the case-by-case basis to, to, to sort of make more compromises, but then one should also be aware and i think most people like always are aware that like uh that can go wrong if you like always keep compromising and like never in fact uh never in fact cash in never in fact like do the thing that is actually really valuable in the end um there are all these like ripple effects of uh if you're not a person who has like lived by their values kind of in in a very obvious like way that is kind of congruent with your values um and like express that integrity um that can have like Sec- like ramifications or something that you wouldn't have uh, predicted at the beginning um I think like these this is just like a this is just like a practical question that is very hard to know what always the right answer is going to be yeah I think a reason why leftists tend to be like uh tend to more stick by the principles I'm, I'm not sure what the reason is but it does feel like a thing that often happens and it feels like un- another unfortunate consequence of this is that I think the left is like <laughs> tends to be very like prone to kind of schisms or splits or like people making quite a lot of like small differences because people so hold to their principles and will really, really like uh, uh, stick by them and be kind of unwilling to kind of uh, to compromise. And I think that that has like many like good sides to it. But I think it probably like also means that like the left can often be like less good at forming a very like robust kind of coalition and like um, like achieving as much. Yeah. Um, And then uh, I think a a reason why uh, people involved in the effective altruism movement might be, like, particularly more likely to play the game a bit more, quote unquote, is I think that effective altruism tends to place more weight on, like, eventual outcomes being the important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, like... Uh, a focus on what's actually going to like achieve the thing that we think is really valuable. Um, and I think I don't mean this in the narrow sense of uh, what's going to achieve me getting elected. I do mean this in the broad sense of like what's in fact going to make the world better. Uh, and so it would include consideration of all of these like integrity aspects and like the second order effects and like what happens if someone else finds out later and you get some exposing? All of that kind of stuff is supposed to be taken into consideration when one is thinking about um, what's actually going to make the world better. And so it's still a hard choice. But I think it uh, at least probably like um, releases people from the uh, like a strict rule on uh, one must never play the game at all or something.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, this is definitely not like an EA only thing. This is like a, a very old um, internal debate that people have um, mm-hmm. within themselves or within communities. And it's it's a really hard one to to answer. And I think it's like very, very case by case. Yeah, I guess I want to, we, we have to talk about climate change um, uh-huh. because I think this is, yeah, this might be like the biggest um, point of tension in practice between like EAs and people on the left. Um, when you talk about like the long-term future and our children and grandchildren, et cetera, more often than not, people will talk about climate change in, in the next breath. Um, and it's, it's a tricky one because... Um, climate change, I think like basically everyone within EA agrees that it's caused by humans, um, that it's bad. It like has bad effects Mm -hmm. that disproportionately hurt, uh, people in poverty, uh, people of color and future generations. Um, but it is also the case that like, it's not one of the things that like 80,000 hours recommends people work on. Um, it's not something that is like super commonly worked on within EA. Like I know plenty of people in EA who are like climate focused to be clear. Um, but in like the broad left and like specific parts of the left as well, it's like much more of a of a, an issue. Um, yeah, how do you think about climate change uh, with respect to EA?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things to say is in in contrast to uh, when we were talking about the left's focus on the working class, um, uh, there I said that I think that um, people in EA and people in the left like rate that problem in absolute terms the same. I actually think that when it comes to climate change, EAs probably rate climate change as a an even bigger deal than probably than people on the left do. Mm. In absolute terms, it's actually like EAs plausibly care about this more. Um, it's just that in relative terms, it still doesn't make it to the top of the list, unfortunately. Um, so the, the reason why I think that EA's uh, might like in absolute terms care about this more is if you bring in this kind of long-termist thinking uh, it means that not only are you caring about the kind of effects on people nowadays or the next generation and the kind of like displacement and the like resource scarcity and all of the things that we'll see in not too not too distant future EA's um, also who are like long-termist will care about the like um, generations far beyond that, just, just equally as much. And, uh, my understanding is that carbon dioxide sort of stays around in the atmosphere for like, can stay around in the atmosphere for like thousands of years. So yeah. it's like very plausible that the effects of our actions right now are going to be affecting, um, f- far more people in the, in the future than actually, than, than most people are usually considering when they think about working on climate change. Like, I think it's actually like, um, much more common in the sort of like, common discussion of climate change to be talking about kind of, you know, kids talking about their future and sort of us like thinking in a kind of time horizon of like 50 years or something like that. Um, so actually like climate change seems like an an even worse deal um, when one takes into consideration, when one like equally considers the future generations. Um, I guess I w- want to point out that I think um, it's often possible that some of the motivating features are a little different for people who come at this from an effect vouchers perspective to people who come at it from the left. I think um, people who come at this from the left, it may be, like, very salient to them, the sort of elements of, like, global injustice or, like, um, resource allocation. I think, f- for me, my leftism instincts, like, really strongly hit on the fact that, you know, it was it was us, the, like, polluting Western <laughs> developed countries that, like, uh, polluted the most, benefited the most, and now those harms are going to be, like, falling on the very worst off in society. And that, like... That really takes the biscuit. Like, could you construct a more painfully unjust story than that? I, like, challenge you. Yeah. That kind of might be part of a kind of, like, motivation as to why, like, climate change feels, like, particularly acute as a problem to work on. Or, like, also plausibly, I think on the left, there's, like, more of a discussion of kind of uh, responsible use of the Earth and kind of a sense of how many Earth's resources we're using up or, like, how many we would if we all lived as people did in the the first world. Or um, the point of day within the year where we've got to the point where we've used up all of the all of like uh that's all of the earth's resources if we kind of like um used it responsibly and now we're kind of in debt um so there's like a little bit more of a flavor of some of this stuff which might be something like response like responsible use of resources or kind of like respect for the environment or something about um a kind of a, a general aesthetic kind of dislike of um like overconsumption or materialism or something. Um, and I think that those are very, re- like, very reasonable reasons to, like, worry about this thing and, like, might even, like, push it, like, further up the agenda for people from a leftist um, perspective. Um, I think it's, like, less likely that those are going to be biting as hard for people from an, uh, from an EA perspective because I think more often, not always, but more often people from within the EA community are going to be thinking mostly in terms of, like, the, the harms that it causes um, rather than other things like it would be better for us to kind of just, like, use the Earth's resources, like, well. Um, or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think like some of this stuff is a little bit values related. Um, but but most of it, I think, uh, isn't most of it, I think, is probably about like prioritization. Um, and the fact that, um, yeah, where does climate change come in the stack of things to focus on? Yeah. Yeah, so I think fundamentally this like mostly comes down to this like point of neglectedness um, and the fact that EAs are often like thinking at the margin. And I think very plausibly a lot of EAs would agree that climate change is like on scale this like really huge issue that like lots of like uh, resources should be going towards trying to uh, mitigate the harms um, as much as possible. Uh, But in thinking at the margin and in trying to focus on the thing that seems like not enough attention is going to it, um, it pushes people Pushes people in effective altruism uh, away from something that has has so much attention, uh, like climate change, and towards things that are um, more nascent as ideas, like like things like the development of artificial intelligence, um, and and some of this is kind of thinking about. Uh, when would have been the ideal time to like work on something like climate change? I mean, it isn't really now. It would have been much, much better if you had been like an environmentalist like a few decades ago, like back in the 60s or the 70s and had been able to actually um, set us on a trajectory of um, taking this more seriously earlier Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of combating some of the corporate disinformation campaigns that there were. And like maybe we'd be in a much better situation. Um, Like as it is right now, we're like we're kind of like, you know, the to- the clock is really ticking. And um, in, a, in a, for a lot of kind of issues like this, earlier on, there's like a bit more kind of like plasticity or a bit more like moldability about the way that things might go. And like the, as things go on, then they kind of like rigidify a bit. And so uh, the sort of paths that are open to you kind of narrow down. Um, and so that's kind of where we are right now with climate change. Like maybe we've got to a point where at least like everyone knows this is a problem Um But uh, like a lot of the kind of opportunities for like really directing uh, the, the sort of vast option space of where we could have gone, some of those things have already like happened. Whereas there may be some other issues that are kind of like frontier issues right now that are kind of the climate changes of the future. And and perhaps something like the development of artificial intelligence is a bit like that, uh, where it's like so early on and so few people are paying attention to it. You know, there is no international governmental panel on AI that has the same kind of um, attention as the IPCC. Um, There is no like international treaty about this. There is no like consensus about what would be like that you know, what the harm is, whether it would be like, you know, there could be a human-generated harm here. Um, So things are very plastic right now. um, And there's like, there's more of an opportunity to kind of be an early mover in this space and actually try and uh, get us on a better path uh, before things become a bit too late. Um, And so that pushes people involved in effective altruism to work on the kind of, like, weirder, more niche ideas that you haven't really heard of yet, rather than the one that, like, we all agree is a really bad issue that we should all be working on. Um, And that doesn't reflect, the like, EA's not caring about the issue. It just reflects, like, a a different approach on tactics, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really like that analogy of, like, climate change in the 50s or 60s or something. Um, Yeah, I think the way I think about this is uh, somewhat similar, which is, like, you know, if... EA has controlled all the resources in the world. Then, like climate change, would receive a lot more attention, money, effort, etc., than it's currently getting. Um, but given that we control like a tiny fraction of resources, uh, we can only put them towards a few things. And there are things that are like arguably as important as climate change, or even more so, um, that are getting orders of magnitude less money and and people. And organizations like working on them, mm-hmm. like, like biosecurity, like, uh, climate change, like nuclear security, like within the framework laid out at the top of the episode, you know, makes it a more compelling thing to work on. Um, and then I think there is this like disagreement over, I think there is some loose talk about like climate change being a like, causing extinction of, of the species and, I just think this is not well-founded. And I I think, like, more people are starting to recognize this. And I also think, like, a lot of the ways in which people talk about climate change, and not just on the left, but, like, I think it's usually coming from a left-ish perspective. is like, oh, it's, like, too late past this arbitrary date. It's not arbitrary, but, like, past this date in which a cascading series of bad things will happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think this just ends up causing people to throw up their hands and be like, okay, like, it's too late now. Like, what am I going to do? Or people think that, like, literally their kids will die from like climate change when there's like really not good reason to think that. Um, at least if you're like the type of person that I'm meeting, you know, you're like in a rich country and like well off and like, you know, it will kill people. It's just like, they're not going to look like you or be in your country or in your position. Um, and that's like, that's fucked up and terrible. Um, but like, you shouldn't make your decisions about like whether to have kids based on based on that. You should make it well. Then it kind of comes back to like, well, they might get killed by AI. Like, I don't know, like that's like a,
1: <laughs> a disturbing that's thought that you're not thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids. Right, right.
0: Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's like um, a, a, a genuine tension. Um, although I, I do think that you're right that it's like mostly comes down to neglectedness.
1: Yeah, there is this odd thing where like his can be like, you're too doomery about, you're too doomy about climate change. You're not doomy enough about AI though. Let me like sub in your existential worry for a different one. Yeah. Um, In both the personal and the like um, global sense. Um, Yeah, I mean. I, I don't like come down super harshly on people who use the extinction term to talk about climate change in a somewhat imprecise way. Like I I think it's um I think probably they do not in fact literally believe that thing, um, that it will in fact kill every single human on earth. Um I think very few people in fact believe that. Um I, I think that holding them to the standards of precision uh, that we're expecting is a little unfair because no one cares more about the precision of like, no, but really extinction, extinction of like absolutely everyone is like the thing that like EAs have. Um, very specifically carved out as like, no, but that's very important in a a different way. And Mm -hmm. I think like most people don't in fact, think of it like that. Um, And I think people are just usually kind of talking about, look, this is just like cataclysmically bad, like, like worse than you're thinking worse than we've experienced before, like trying to give people a wake up call. Um, so yeah, I think I am I'm like willing to be kind of like um generous to uh, to not critiquing people too much when they are using a somewhat imprecise term. Um because I think their heart's in the right place. Um but yes, I do agree that there is like there is some there is some difference in taking that at face value, and then what um, the EAs tend to think about how bad this problem is. But I think EAs just like completely agree. Like I don't know, EAs, is like it's not exactly like a, a monolithic kind of one person. But like the general consensus, are probably amongst the EA community, probably like agrees with the scientific community on uh, climate change, and we don't think it's like less bad than people uh, think. I, I think I still kind of maintain that people think it's probably like more bad because they're uh, unlikely to be um, applying some kind of like discount rate to um, future generations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds right to me. And yeah, I, I recognize we've been talking for a while now. I don't have the stamina of, of Rob Wiblin <laughs> and the 80,000 hours team for, <laughs> for five hour podcasts. Um,
1: yeah. But
0: uh, I want to just wrap up and also just thank you for, for taking the time. I think this has been a super interesting conversation And uh, long overdue. Um, But I guess, like, any other thoughts you want to squeeze in before we wrap?
1: The last points of kind of tension, like, I think we've talked about some of the things that the left might criticize EA for. Yeah. um, And I think sometimes there are some, like, very fair points there. I think, like, there are some things that the EA community does get quite right that I think there is some tensions in the other direction um, that I maybe would kind of just shout out. um, The fact that I think EAs have, like, one of the things is something like EAs are pretty good at uh, caring about, like, harm wherever it occurs, Mm -hmm. Uh, like, regardless of whether it was caused by malice or whether it was by accident or whether it was just, like, natural that this thing happened. It was, like, the way that nature works. I think EAs, like, have this unusual view where they are, um, like, care very much about that kind of harm. And it sort of leads um, people in the effective actress community to work on some of the more, like, or, like, consider some more, like, unusual issues. Like, the suffering of animals in the wild, which I think might seem like very wacky and weird to people on the left, um, who are much more drawn, I think to both to issues affecting humans, but also issues, uh, that are the result of kind of some kind of injustice or some kind of like unf- unfairness in the system, even if it's not like an individual malice. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like, that's another kind of tension. And like another one where I think that probably, um, I can understand why EA seems like super weird, but I think it has like something good going on here. Um, yeah and maybe the other one is something around like uh like there's examples of prizes for being uh, for pointing out what people are wrong um many in the ea community are like uh particularly care about trying to get to the right answer um and uh being kind of scouty rather than like soldiery in trying to defend their beliefs being like more scouty and to try and like work out what is in fact the true nature of the world um that's a really good value it's not it's actually i would say that this is like something that wasn't a natural part of my um value system before I came across the EA. I think it wasn't like an obvious thing that I had as part of my like lefty makeup beforehand. I think it's like a good addition um and a good nudge to um that like that that maybe is a like a yeah a good thing as part of sort of discourse around what would be important to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is I agree with both of those. And there is something like almost a little like frustrating or like alien about like the extent to which uh EAs can sometimes just be like so uncommitted to a particular belief or something Mm -hmm. um, where it's just like so obvious to me that like whatever the belief is, is is true or false. Um, And I think there's something like that feels more, you know, right about like somebody feeling like passionately up in arms about like some horrible state of affairs. Um, -hmm. like the willingness to like steel man, a position that just seems wrong or like decouple things and and talk about them in like the abstract. Um, and over time I've like grown to appreciate this more because I think it's like really, really hard to get things right. It's very easy to be confused or misled and often like this kind of approach and this like culture of, of epistemic humility and like open-mindedness and, and like a willingness to be like intellectually promiscuous uh, as one of my friends puts it um <laughs> i think leads to like a bunch of interesting ideas getting taken seriously um and some of those ideas are right um and it's really important that we like keep epistemic hygiene high so if we're wrong we can correct um and i think like historically the left has been really wrong on a few big things like uh like thinking that human nature is infinitely malleable and like, like you can like perfect, perfect humans uh, through like these utopian projects um, or that you should like, you know, have everyone make uh, smelt iron in their backyard or like, what like just like lots of like really bad beliefs that like led to like millions of people dying. Yeah. And, and I think like some of this does actually follow from like Marx himself and like thinking that people are like basically the bad things in the world are caused by um, human society and like, kind of dismissing the the existence of like human nature or something. Um, and so, yeah, I think like taking that seriously and and being open to to just things being true that like you don't want to be true is like a really important mm-hmm. part of, of getting your political project right. And I, I guess I just I, I need to end on this one quote that I think <laughs> that uh, a lot of people on the left and a lot of people within EA can agree with. And this is from uh, Karl Marx: um, the philosophers have hitherto only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however, is to change it. Uh, I think this is something EA really takes to heart. And uh, it's kind of funny to see two movements led by philosophers in, in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> great, great.
0: Um, oh, Habiba, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, look forward to chatting again sometime. Thank you so much. This has been The Most Interesting People I Know. If you enjoy this show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. This helps new people find the show and validates my self-worth. If you don't enjoy the show, you can keep your thoughts to yourself. Or email me at tgarisonlovely at gmail.com. As usual, podcast design is by Jacob Abrowitz. Music is by me. And for the first time, this podcast was produced by Jason Cuttrevel.